Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. From backyard plinking to serious training to big game hunting, Airguns.com has what you need. Umarex offers the most diverse lineup of air guns from traditional BB and pellet guns to cutting edge rifles that fire, get this, 50 caliber slugs or even broadhead tipped arrows. Umarex air guns has led the way with innovative products designed to get the job done. Whether you're hunting whitetails, feral hogs, iguanas, squirrels, rabbits, or even elk or bison, umarexairguns.com is your source for the best air-powered rifles and pistols. Visit umarexairguns.com today. That's umarexairguns.com. On X Hunt Elite is worth every penny. It really is. Every hunt, every planning session, every gear purchase, I was on it already today. With your Elite membership, you will get application and draw odd tools, exclusive pro deals on gear from the industry's best, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage. And now Canada. On X Hunt Elite will make you more successful on your next hunt. Try On X Hunt free for seven days. Or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new Elite membership. This is the Meat Eater podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater podcast. You can't predict anything. Uh, Yanni, um, your new haircut. I'm sorry about a haircut? Your new haircut? Yes. Just like kind of, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yanni's I, got a butch. I love Yanni's I love daughters it. helped to give him a butch. You That's not it, a. You call this a butch? It's borderline butch. You feel I, like butch is even, an endearing term? But that that's just one uh, little, like a, what, like a three on your four. wall hair care system? Four. Do you use the wall clippers? Yep. Yeah, those are the those are the jam. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm so jealous of that haircut. Do you think I'm too thin on top to run that haircut? I don't think we'll know until you try. Nice thing about it is it grows out pretty dang quick. But you know how you don't like when everyone has the same haircut? If I got that haircut? I I, I think it like military style, because that's what I call it, more of just like a buzz yeah. cut. Now, I, don't, I don't even know what butch means. Butch to me has a, a, a different negative... Uh, connotation for for you know what I'm talking. Let's about. Let's tackle that for a minute. Okay, but um, I do want to get into that. I, I know folks referred to that style of haircut as a butch cut, dude. Not growing butch up, style, that's all. Just butch yeah. cut. That's a butch cut. It's like there, there, and there. You could have a word mean two different things. Oh, you definitely could. Yeah, I just never heard it called a butch cut. A butch, not or a butch. Yeah. That's a borderline butch. buzz. When I went on my yeah. first date, when I went on my first date with my wife, it was a four-day date, and I had just gotten one of those because I used to get those. 
and she maybe she doesn't like them as much. But I got one, and I remember on our first date, which spanned a number of days, um, three people asked if I was in the military. Yeah. Yeah, you do get that. Uh, Especially yeah. if you walk around with a like, Vortex hoodie with a uh, yeah, because you got a USA flag, you got a USA patch and a short haircut. You got like a you got a map of Fallujah tattooed on your <laughs> tattooed on your chest. America. Uh, I don't. Are you at the point, Steve, Stephen Ranella, where you are getting uh, sunburned on the top of your head? No, no, and and I felt like I was thinning out, but I feel like it thickened back up again. That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about what product you've been using. Nothing. I use a medicated shampoo. I use. I have a skin condition on my scalp and next to, on the sides of my nose, so I use a medicated shampoo if it's bothering me. If not, I use whatever's in the shower. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you a daily shampooer? No, I don't take a shower every day, dude. I take a shower like I take a shower every three days. And then do you sh- shampoo? Oh yeah, if I get in there, I'm shampooing. Let's 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 take That's a poll here, Cal. Where are you at on showers? Two to three days right now. But when, typically, when I'm like up and running, yeah, when you have not a, crashing at a buddy's house, yeah, I I'm a shower every day guy. Yeah, Yanni. Yeah, every day. But I like I do it more to wake up. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I used to be like that. Even if I'm clean, you don't feel grimy. Like you don't feel like ah, I could take I just a shower used to, to wake grimy. up. When I wake up in the morning, I typically. I don't change my clothes. I don't unless I'm like coming down to the office and I feel like I should. I'll wear I'll wear my same I I wake up and put my same clothes back on. Change my undies, put my same clothes back on. I'll do that for a few days. Even t shirt. Sometimes. I don't like to generate a lot of laundry and I don't like to be getting in and out of the shower and having to dry off all the time. Would it be safe to say that you're just the general principle is low maintenance? That's why you like the haircut. That's why I don't like a lot of laundry. You're That's why I like that haircut. I don't like my kids leave. They, the amount of laundry they generate is staggering. Oh, yeah, buddy. Tell me about it. And it's frowned upon to throw your kids in the same clothes and send them back out to school. I do it whenever I can. Yeah. I had words with my mother-in-law not long ago about that. <laughs> she was really upset that I did it. And I said, I've been doing that my entire life. And look at me. I'm fine. Um. <laughs> the only time you have to say look at me I'm fine it's, it's, you know, it's been a game changer is uh, I've taught my girls to when they take their clothes off to turn them right side out and put them into the dirty laundry bin so you don't need because to because I think when you're folding you spend more time turning the clothes right side out than you do actually folding them that's true that helps that's a good thing to teach your kids yeah because I think pa- parents of young kids you can start to feel like all you do is laundry on yeah, top of some cooking. If I don't have meaningful, the reason I don't engage, I handle the cooking in the house and I handle a lot of the dishwashing and whatnot for the most part, but I don't engage in laundry outside of my own laundry because I don't have meaningful input. Meaningful input to me looks like uh, what constitutes a dirty towel, what constitutes dirty clothes. My definition is different than my wife's. So I would have them get up and put the same clothes back on again for several days if need be. And I don't believe in separating your colors. Heavens no. No, no. So since, since I'm like, I will do family laundry if, if I can move, the, move the, the, the rules here a little bit in my direction. 
But since people are unwilling to move in my direction on a couple key things, I don't engage. That sounds fair. It's like, well, it, you, it you want me. my involvement? It comes with full involvement. <laughs> <laughs> if you want this, you're getting the whole thing. Yeah, it's a package deal. Now, uh, it's, it strikes me that we all have, you have zero kids. I have one, Yanni has two, you have three. So we have all levels. We got of, like, it pretty much covered. We got it all covered. So we have every level of child rearing. So Cal has no laundry to do. Yep, I've got. You have a small amount small of laundry amount, to do. A larger amount for Yanni, and, then and yet the, even a then larger amount infinite, for you. Infinite laundry. Uh, speaking of all that, look at this segue. Um, we're talking about cleanliness, right? What do you put in when you're doing laundry? What do you, what do you put in there in the little receptacle up top? Laundry detergent. Well, yeah, but you could also sit, call it uh, soap. soap. Guy sent in... Um, Bear fat. Yeah, a guy sent in a bunch of soap that he makes some wild game fat. I like this guy. Which is cool. The dude, uh, Farm Care Soaps. Now, obviously, you run into a problem with like, uh, selling wild game parts, which I don't know the rules when you're making soap. Like, I, don't, I don't know the rules on that. You, know, you can't sell the meat, right? But you can, sell a, you can sell a bear hide. You can't sell bear meat. I don't know where you're at. If you're selling bear fat soap, but he plays it safe and doesn't sell the bear fat soap. But people will... He has friends, I gather, who will bring him deer fat and bear fat, and he'll make them up some soap. Yeah. He sent his soap made out of, this is bear grease or bear oil. And then what's interesting is there's a way that soap dudes, uh, there's a way that soap dudes like score soap with a thing called, I haven't read this as carefully as I wish I had read it. Uh and, and he's got this little breakdown here where he breaks down all the, wild, all the wild fat, like how salmon oil performs, how bear tallow. He's even got how rabbit tallow, so like rabbit fats attributes, goose fat attributes, regular old pigs, mink oil attributes. And then the, 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 the number, which is called an IS, INS number, which I'm going to have to look up, the highest ranker, the highest number is... Um, Deer tallow has the highest INS value, whatever the hell that is. Iodine and sap. I like this guy's, uh, he's covering all of his bases with this one. Speaking of deer tallow, uh, he's from Elkton, Maryland. He's got a picture of a Sika deer, mm. and the ingredient is deer tallow. Yeah. Got, got her all covered. On. I think he's making a nod toward Maryland there. Wallow soap. He also makes a soap, which I don't get, and it doesn't excite me at all, is Cabernet Sauvignon. Because you don't, I mean, <laughs> soap. you're not a soap, you're a soap every three days. If you were a soap every day guy, you would understand. That's a, look how, it smell it. Give it a, give it a smell test. This, this honey and lemon is delicious. This one has the vague outline of the word soap on it. As if to say, he's got a lot of other things laying around that look like that. Oh, yeah, look at that. It could either <laughs> be soap, it could be soap. chalk. You scratch soap. Some companies will scratch the word dial into yeah, it, but he just true. scratched the word soap, soap into it. Because it could be in a chalk, it could be an eraser. You don't know what that could this be. Is like a, this is a level of wild game that I haven't touched on yet, but I think it's pretty damn interesting. I think it's very interesting. I, I, and I, I think everybody here probably feels the same way to a degree when you turn a certain corner you are at a level of commitment where your life allows for nothing else though yeah like i feel like if all of a sudden i was in the soap making game in addition to mm. 
canning, preserving, yeah, the general putting up of meat, then it's like you got to have somebody else with another form of income in the household. You become the soap guy, right? You do it so much, like yeah, Tim, old Tim from Elkton. Oh yeah, this guy makes soap. That's like your per- that's your identity at some point. It's like yeah, it's something going- you got to figure out all the way. I'm jealous of it, but I don't, I'm not gonna. Just to be in total honesty, I'm not gonna start making my own soap for my wild game. Yeah. But Yanni's wife wants to make some soap up. That's Sweet. the main reason she wants me to kill a uh, a fall bear so it has a whole bunch of fat. Yeah, but why not do it with the deer? Why not? I guess yeah, we could try. You want to take? She the, just I already have. I, I took some of those out of the box. Have you been really using good. it at home? Yeah. Now that your hair is so short, do you scrub your head with bar soap? Uh, I haven't done that yet. We've just been using it as a hand soap in our downstairs bathroom. Because, you know, it's so nice and fancy. I kind of want, you know, guests and everybody. No, I would say this is, is this artisan as an overused word? This is artisan. This is the real artisan shit, shit, man. I think the honey and lemon is what we've been. uh, That artisan bread you got at Panera, not artisan bread. Hate to tell you. Moving on, a dude, uh, we're going to talk about turkeys, hunting turkeys. This is something we've, have we talked about this before? A guy wrote in saying like, man, you fellers. Got it all wrong saying um, killed. Shouldn't say you killed a turkey. You said you should say harvested it because you're just playing into the anti-hunter's hands by saying you killed it. (laughs) I I understand. I do. But I feel like a big part of... I feel like the game has been lost if we become so detached from the fact that meat, in order to eat meat, death is associated with it. It doesn't have to be meat, mind you. Oh, Whatever you true. eat, you're killing it. Very true. But if a farmer told me, I went out and harvested that field of corn, I picture what he's talking about. If a farmer told me, you know what? I went out and killed all that corn in that field. <laughs> What if he said I? I would think and, that he uh, put Roundup on it. I spent a lot of time. <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Why I don't know. Because it annoys me. The harvest thing annoys me. It's like why are you watering? Why are you watering down the thing you're doing? Like well, just admit to what what you're doing. The need to have a word to cloak that we're killing a thing is an issue to me. Well, no, because it implies using. No, you kill the animal, you harvest the meat. Yeah. You harvesting like you're not the thing that harvest doesn't get to is that you didn't put the animal there. You put the corn there, but you didn't put the, you didn't plant the animal and grow it there. Like that animal is there, happened to be where you were from from our standpoint, just by happenstance. It's a good point. Harvest does imply Yeah, but except that like, if it's like, a farm animal, you're not gonna change the wording. You don't harvest a you don't harvest some beef. Yeah, listen to I, this though. You I, slaughter. Sure, or kill. No, but that's what I'm saying. No farmers, no rancher would say, um, "I uh, killed the, we killed the pig, slaughtered the pig," which to me has a connotation of just a, a, like of, it means killing farm animals. Slaughter. We're, yes. we're getting into some murky water because I do no. think like the lower it's the crisp, number, it's clear. The more you would hear kill. Like, hey, I had I went out and killed a lamb this morning. Slaughter a implies lamb. mass. Yeah. But now, listen to this. I just, just thought of this because we talked about this um, in, in a different way, but reap what you sow. The term reap 
right? That gets used all the time in like kind of macabre ways of killing people. Like the Grim Reaper. Yeah, or Ridge Reaper. <laughs> Isn't there a thing called the Ridge Reaper? Or Under Armour like has Ridge Reaper camo. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. And when you when you technically or not technically, when you some people call going behind the fan of a turkey and and, and approaching uh, a turkey, they call that reaping. Reaping. Really? Yeah. Because you're taking like a scythe and cutting it low. Cutting it low. Well, but that is like I went out and reaped the field today. Yeah. Right. You get where I'm going with this? No. Not at all? That's the literal definition of well, Yeah. Not, yeah. And then the figurative would be... Well, yeah. If you return to, like, the return to the word harvest, like in the definition of the word harvest is crop, right? The definition of crop is something that you produced yourself. You grew it. You harvested your crop. Yeah. You did not grow that deer. You did not. Even if you set up a, you know, like our boy Mark Kenyon, set up an environment where the deer likes to live and then sneak in there and kill it, you didn't grow it there. You gave it a place to live. Um, you kind of grew it. You kind of grew it. But you didn't grow it. Then if you're yeah, in a you high fence situation where you're putting ear tags and things, then you're If you're, you're breeding, your if you're breeding a deer, uh, maybe we can start to get or there. having them like, breed. Bre- yeah, if you make them breed, a deer comes out, then you put it out in a little fence and kill it. Yeah, you probably did harvest. It probably is a crop at that point. Our new babysitter just came off of working on a deer operation in New Zealand. Where they harvest the velvet, and she talks about that. harvesting the velvet. Yeah, and they'll get a couple velvet harvests off it, then they slaughter it for meat. I, I would, I would agree with that. If you went out and picked a morel, would you ever say I harvested some morels? I'd say I reaped it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been. What'd you do this weekend? Mer- reaped some morels. No, you pick morels, you slaughter beef. You kill turkeys. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's, I, we should have a shirt just like that that says that exact thing. Yeah, you know how everybody got all high on different words for like a group of zebras is a what, Yanni? That one I don't know. <laughs> oh, damn it. Crash, it's a crash of zebras or something like that? A murder? No, it's a crash of rhinos or something like that? It's a flamboyance of flamingos. Remember that one. Yeah, dude, you can't it's forget that. a crash that. of rhinos. A right? dazzle. Oh, a, a dazzle. dazzle. That's everybody right. got all hip on that because someone came up with the thing that showed it all. And then everybody got all into like what words mean what? A murder of crows. Murder of crows is a big one. That's yeah, you could, one. Uh, it might be a sweet shirt. What you do you call it? it? It says pick next to it. What do you call a Corn, group? harvest, and a turkey kill. What do you call a group of giraffes? I don't know. A tower. No. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just got back from the Texas Hill Country. Yeah. Ben, you're going to have to suffice. As a, how many years did you spend in Texas? Like three or four. So you're a Texas expert. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like the Wikipedia version of a Texas, <laughs> of a Texas expert. And Texas dudes are so sensitive. They're going to be particularly... Yeah, they're going to be like listening to this, uh, pouring over it. Uh, you were saying that we hunted on the, uh, the Llano River, which can be Llano or Llano. Uh, I prefer Yano. I prefer Yano, but I was corrected many times. Yeah, it cannot be Yano. The Yano is in the panhandle, I was told. And I said, yeah, anyway, we're hunting near Burnett, Texas. And he said, it's Burnett. You can't even say that right. Let's get out. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, Yano Estacado, 
Yeah. It, which is in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yes. And New Mexico, I believe. No? Oklahoma. Isn't it because it's up in the panhandle? It's right? in Texas. The Llano Estacado isn't entirely in Texas. It is. It's a big landscape feature. It's a, it's a, it's a vast plateau that falls away on very steep edges around it. And once upon a time, the Comanche used to go up and vanish on top of that thing, where it's very hard and hard to exist and lack of water. And sometimes they would hide out in the canyons where the Llano Estacado breaks away. The Llano Estacado means staked plains. So the Llano River, how in the hell is it the Llano? (laughs) Same state, same spelling. Same spelling, I want to add. The same state, and there's also the Llano Uplift, which is is a big granite dome that's in the hill country. That people always talk about. So yeah. is that the Yano uplift? Is that the thing we were looking at? That rock is amazing. Yeah. There. I don't cool. know if that's a I don't think that was a rock. That's not the rock we're no. looking at. Uh, no. so, but but we were in full on Texas Hill Country. Yeah. Which I, is a term I've been hearing my whole life, but I don't know what it meant. Well, there's a lot of things it means a lot of things it means. To me, like you, you think of the granite and limestone, like those big, you know, on the Lana River, those big cliff faces uh, in the hill country and the sandstone that's out there. Um, but really it stretches, they say it's the border between the southeast and the southwest. So it stretches almost all the way over to it, the border of Mexico and up into East Texas, which is a big deal. So it's a, there's a lot of varying terrain. But when we were in where I used to live and just south of where we were is the gateway to the hill country. Dripping Springs. Dripping which Springs. Which is one of the more pleasant town, oh. town names. Yeah. Yeah. Where, and there was it's like, I'll move there. There was many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dripping Springs? It's only dripping? shit there's a lot of natural springs there's a natural spring on one of the properties we were hunting on that yanni and i got to look at um so we were in kind of the the beginning of the hill country which stretches across texas which is varied landscape but i think of i think of those limestone and and sandstone cliffs and stuff that you see when you're driving west uh why is the hill is the hill country more known for high fences and exotics running around than other parts of Texas? It just in your, in your like superficial understanding of Texas. Yeah, my superficial understanding, I've seen it more there than I've seen in other places. Where we were hunting, we were hunting on a, we hunted on a farm, not a farm, a former ranch. A ranch, yeah. A, ranch. Recre- a recreational, a ranch turned recreational property. That's right. 1,500 acres. Um, not fenced. No. Not high fence. There was fences... Pretty much all other properties had fenced all around. And driving out of there, we ran into two zebras. Just a dazzle. There. Like, was that a dazzle? It's a mini two, dazzle. A mini dazzle. Uh, two zebras just standing there, which is like very disconcerting to see. And there's a lot of that. Not in a bad way, but just like, wow. There's a lot zebras. of that. The first time I was, the first, I think, week that I was in Texas, we were driving through the hill country to go hike at some state park, and which is what you got to hike on down there. There's not public ground to do it so we're driving out we're driving down this highway with a buddy and i look over and there's a bongo like standing on the side of the road just not behind a fence just standing on the side of the road eating grass and he goes oh yeah 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 they're around what do you mean they're around that's an east african jungle antelope like it's not what are you talking about oh yeah yeah you see those around they must have got out of the high fence and that is always what you hear down there oh yeah there's a zebra there's an elk there's a, we had a red deer run across the road. Google we bongo. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I think typically it's a, hunted by driving them out of the jungle into less dense jungle with in dogs. Bus, in buses? 
guided by pygmies and you're running dogs through the jungle and uh, you flush them into like zones of like 20 yard openings. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big critter. That's like the second largest yeah, African huge. antelope, I think, behind the eland. It's a big critter. It's not a small, I mean, it's a, like kind of a bronzy orange color. So it's not something you see in this continent or this, at least in the, in the, in the States. Yeah. It's, it's, we have coming up, we're doing an episode with the head of Texas Parks. It's Parks and Wildlife? Yes. Texas Parks and Wildlife. And I have a million questions for him. If you have questions, if there's other Northerners, other Yankees out there, oh, I want to return to the word butch for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's other Yankees out there who have questions like where you're just like, how could that possibly be? If you have a question for a Texan, you can email in and we'll, we'll, we'll collate the questions and then we can go ask the Texas Parks and Wildlife guy. My question is going to be, is it legal are you really allowed to just take any animal from anywhere and cut it loose on your property? I feel like the answer is yes. I, from all my experience, the answer is yes. I would be interested to hear his take on it. Like if someone gave you a jaguar, could you be like, I'm turning the jaguar out on my property? That can't has be, to be regulated. There's, I, I, there I, surely is regulations. But that there's I'm, not for a zebra. So how... Right? I'm dying to know. I mean, I can, I can tell you, like, when we were talking about where we were in the hill country in Lano, or Yano, or Lano, whatever you please. We'll go uh, Lano. We'll go Lano. Like, the, the, the guys at the ranch we were hunting on were saying that there used to be, like, South Texas, big tracts of land, big tracts, 20, 30,000 acre ranches. Like, you know, uh, it's pretty common. In that area of the hill country, where it's kind of outside of uh, Austin, there's, they have basically taken these large ranches and parceled them up and sold them through history. Now, I don't know the history of all of that, but now you have 1,000, 2,500, 600-acre properties and with a wholly different land use ideas on each one. And so when we were down there, you see a fence, a fence, a fence, a fence, another fence, another fence, because there's, there is no 20,000-acre untouched habitat down there like i've seen in south texas so it's challenging you'll see i mean we saw black buck we saw red deer we saw um high fence and then and low like fence. five strand very un wildlife friendly fencing yeah tough but yeah yeah you mean the, the regular fence not the high fence but just the regular cattle fence yeah yeah, yeah. we found a picture or not found a picture ran into a deer that had gone to jump a had had gone to jump a fence. This is a, you see this often. Yeah. And like picture, so just picture a barbed wire fence that's got a bunch of strands on it, and it got its leg between. So it shot a leg in between the two top strands and then rolled the wire. Am I saying this? Like yeah. In the way that it's clear, yeah. rolled the wire. So then the wire began to braid, not braid, to twist, and caught the deer's hoof there, uh, just on its ankle. And it looked like it had been there quite a while before it expired and was dead hanging there. And I, uh, you can go look at the picture. I put it on Instagram, um, just like at Stephen Ornell. If you scroll back, you'll find this deer I'm talking about. And the comment thread's kind of interesting to see like people's perceptions of what they're looking at. Because the, the, I didn't want to just put it up in some kind of sensationalist way, the image. Uh, so I explained on there like, man, you know, Whitetails thrive around people. We plant 
crops, agricultural crops that they like to eat. We plant edible landscaping they like to eat. We create endless amounts of edge habitats where they thrive. We displace their predators, but it's a, like a double-edged sword because the number one white, the number one uh, white-tailed death, I think, is getting hit by a car for human-caused, right? Not even hunting. I think people hit more with cars than hunters kill. Mm-hmm. That might be right. That might be wrong. You I think know, certain states, it's 100% right. So it's funny. I've heard, I'm pretty sure this is true. I've heard that that's how kind of high fences came to be in Texas. That the idea was these large ranches with lots and lots of white-tailed deer, put a fence up, you don't have to worry about hitting them with your truck. Or, or, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, and then I think later they discovered the fringe benefits of it being breeding and controlling genetics and things of that nature. But yep. I think it originally started, obviously, to keep people out of your property, but as far as wildlife is concerned. Keep them off the highway. Keep them off the highway. Uh, and I've heard, two of people only fencing one side. I've been on two properties that have done this. Fence one border of their property. If, they, if they're doing, like, deer management and you have neighbors that are just, just like, you know, not, I'm not saying this in a negative way. You have neighbors that just like to shoot bucks. Yep. Maybe they eat a lot of deer and they just shoot, you know, they go out and don't care and they just shoot whatever buck they run into, which is totally fine. But I've been on two Texas properties where they ranch a border, a single border. So they're not captive, they're not holding their deer captive. They just don't want to be having their big bucks so easily move on to a property of mugs that just shoot bucks. Yeah, it's still possible, but it, it's a deterrent. Yeah, it deters them from getting over. And in both of these places that I was on that did this, they mentioned how these guys would set their blinds. They knew that this place was producing nice bucks, and they would set blinds and basically hunt the edge, which irritated yeah. the guys. Another guy wrote... That the, happens everywhere. That where you fence a, a border? No, where you set your blind on the neighbor's property. It is. Yeah. It's just like it, it's a just human hu- tendency. Totally. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if your place is 10 acres or 10,000. You're going to hunt the freaking border because it's obviously better hunting on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> we had a guy write in recently proposing that it should be illegal. He thinks that he, he's noticed in his area that people will put corn feeders... Like, I can't remember what state is, and he's in a state where it's illegal to bait on public, but you can bait on private. Yeah. And he noticed how the private guys always set corn feeders right on the edge of the public. And he was saying it should be illegal to do this, which I understand his frustration, perhaps, but that's like some crazy lawmaking. Yeah. That's not going to go over real well. Yeah. To propose that in order to make it easier on this dude... He doesn't like that they're drawn off the public. Yeah, and if that, I mean, they find corn. They find high-calorie food. So if it's 100 yards inside the private or 200 yards inside the private, odds are that deer is going to find it just as easily as if it was 10 yards inside the private. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, I never finished my thing about the fence. Is... uh, the comment so i put the picture up in the comments oh the deer hung up fence yeah so there's a deer that died on a fence and i and i said it's a double-edged sword right because we like create we kind of like created the white-tailed deer the white-tailed deer is in some ways not in every area like you get up in like main big woods and but in some ways like the white-tailed deer has become like a kind of synthetic animal yeah it does so well around people uh much to its credit right 
crows, Canada geese. We talked about this a bunch of times. Um, and I said, but it's a double-edged sword because then, you know, like this deer is hung up in this fence. That's all the point I was trying to make. But you look at the comments. A lot of the comments are cool. A lot of the comments are like, that's nature's way of sorting out the weak, which struck me as really funny. Um, but a lot of comments in there about animal-friendly fencing. Yeah. And feeling that that fence was a not animal-friendly fence. That I would totally agree and no uh, agenda here but yeah there's a animal friendly fencing and all you got to do is look it up um and now a lot of state agencies they have um basically um you know state employees that are their sole job is to work with uh private landowners and and uh, help them if they have interest to do so um manage for wildlife um, and one of the ways to do that is to um, use animal friendly fencing which I think is if you have a four strand fence the top strand is smooth wire um, and it dictates like the the top strand and bottom strand are smooth wire I, I'm screwing this up but um, and then there's spacing between the wire two and then every so often you would have like a one that's missing a top strand or something like that. Yeah. You, uh, you know, antelope can jump. Like the minute you say they don't like to jump fences, like where, where antelope are from, the habitat they live in, this is like jumping wasn't necessary. Yep. They, they didn't need to jump stuff because they live out in flat open country. In a so, hundred years, I bet evolution will make, will have jump antelope that jump fences all the time. I think that there's probably a select, there's definitely a selective advantage. There are antelope that will jump a fence, and those antelope are probably much more likely to live long and have lots of babies. I've uh, reaped and harvested a few antelope bucks as they danced back and forth on a fence, trying to make up their mind on what to do with it. We've gotten them. We've gotten them before by hunting them in good crossing areas. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't like to jump. They will jump, and you'll. People send when you say that antelope don't jump, you'll get three videos of antelope jumping fences. So they will, but typically they don't like to jump. Not they don't like to, they don't know how. They like to go under fences. So I know that people that are trying to do wildlife friendly fencing in some areas, it's raising the bottom wire yeah. to make room for antelope to go under. I know in some areas with sage grouse, which collide with fences, there's like a lowering of the wire. To a, to a certain height because they tend to cruise at a height where they often collide with the high wire on a barbed wire fence. Hmm. And then some guys were mentioning other uses of paneling and things. Yeah, and you can put um, some uh, visual aids on barbed wire as well, like little pinwheels and stuff. That's what they do for sage grouse. <clears throat> I think that's what it was. Um, every couple Between every couple posts, you put these reflectors Yeah. so they register the presence of the wire. I wonder if there's something, I don't know this, but did you wonder if there's something with, with all the pigs we saw in this place with, the, with that kind of fencing, with, with wildlife safe fencing and pigs? Yeah, well, I, I don't know because I've been, in years past, I've been to places that have um, an old uh, high fence situation, and they're like, you can't even count pigs as high fence pigs or free range pigs because that high fence means nothing to them. Like, they'll go under it somehow some way yeah, yeah. which i don't i don't know these that was what was interesting about a lot of the fence that we saw in texas was it wasn't just a four or five strand barbed wire that was it was like the normal four or five strand and then underneath that there was a 
you know, just gapped by three or four inches, there was another three or four strands. Yeah. Where a pig, I mean, a piglet could get through, but a, you know, anything over forty pounds probably couldn't get through that. Yeah, it'd have to hop through the next gap up. Do you remember hunting that crazy place in Florida? What they did? Oh yeah. Did they bury fence or what they do? They had. It's a cattle ranch. Okay. Working cattle ranch. Right. And they had, they boarded up to a nature, a wild bird sanctuary. And the wild bird sanctuary does some hog control work, but not nearly enough, I gather, according to some surrounding landowners. So this guy had hog-proof fencing between his cattle ranch and the, bird, the wild bird sanctuary. The wild bird sanctuary is funny because you're like out in the cattle ranches, like open, like, like, what do they call it? Hammocks? Hammocks? Like Savannah. Yeah. Well, the hammocks are just the, what they call a, a chunk of palm trees. Yeah, but the rest was like savanna-like grasslands. Yeah. And then you would come up, it looked like you'd walked into Guatemala when you hit that fence. Freaking jungle in the wow. bird sanctuary because they weren't running cattle on it. Okay, yeah. Okay. The constant over-the-years grazing. Yeah. So he had hog-proof fencing. But what he would do is he went in and built in all these little doggy doors in the hog-proof fencing. What? Wow. Yes. Okay. Propped open with a stick. And he's got hog, do- he's got hog chasing dogs. So one night, he cu- we're turkey hunting, and we get to shooting the shit. And he's like, if you boys want to go out hunting hogs tonight, come along. And we agree to do this. The first step on his hog hunt, before you start hunting hogs, he goes down that fence and closes all the doggy doors. <laughs> Step one, close all the doggy doors. Step two, start hunting. Wild. That yes. And guess where you catch pigs? At the dog door. Yes. <laughs> That's where the dogs catch yeah. the pigs, is the doggy doors. Wow. And these guys, you ever hear of a thing called a bard? Like the bard? No, not Shakespeare. Okay. Uh, is that, am I using the right word? Borrowed? I think it was just bar, bar hog or castrated. Yeah. Oh, bar hog, yeah. We caught two hogs that night. One is we recaught a hog that they had caught previously, and when they catch a boar, they castrate it. Because it does two things. One, stops him from reproducing and making more pigs. Two, as he put it to us, it takes his mind off ass and puts it on grass. <laughs> <laughs> and they get fat. But it also limits the testosterone flow, right? Yeah. It makes, the, makes them taste better. Isn't just, that line well, from yeah. uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High? He didn't say that he made it up. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that they made it up. Anyways, we caught two pigs. One was castrated. Oh, you know what? Remember how this morning I was telling you about making my own sausage casings? Yes. That was from that pig. Oh, so yes. It was from the one we caught that had been, either by them or other hog hunters, had been caught before and castrated. Okay. We caught another pig that was intact, a boar. That pig, they castrated and turned back out again. Yeah. This is wild. It, I've done this a couple of times. Uh, Ridley's rode along like you guys did, and it is... It's gnarly. So you're, gnarly. are you catching them with dogs and yeah. going in there and grabbing them by the hind legs? Type yep, and the yep. not castrated hog, um, 
the not castrated hog gouged a dog pretty good. Ooh. And I can't do you remember the do you remember the my observation about what does a vet think about you bringing in dogs all the time that are yep. marred up? Was that was that a lion hunter that said that line to us that I like so much, or was that a hog hunter that said that line to us that I like I so much? I think we were talking with it with that dude as we were riding on top of his giant swamp buggy. Okay, I said to him, "What's your vet think about you bringing in dogs all the time that are gouged up from wild pigs, which one could argue is avoidable?" And he's then said, "That's why you got to find a vet who likes to hunt hogs. <laughs> Give you a discount." Here's a good question for you. You go in there and you grab a critter by the hind legs. Is that a harvest or a kill? Are you killing the pig or are you harvesting the pig? You're harvesting its nuts. Having having seen that occur, yeah, I would not put I would not take a word and I've seen it occur in a lot of places. I would not apply such a delicate word as harvest to what happens when you catch a pig with dogs. Yeah. It is the most it's like a it's a, Probably the most chaotic scene you can imagine. It's kill with a capital K. It is. I almost got chased up, <laughs> chased up a tree by a big old hog that just had his nuts removed. Post castration. Yeah. My mom got chased up a tree by a wild pig. I heard about that. with my dad. Yeah. I got chased. He wasn't really. He didn't chase me up the tree, but I felt the need to get up the tree the way he was looking at me, and yeah. he was coming towards me like, "Yeah, you better get up that tree." We're gonna we're gonna tussle, son. Took his mind off ass and put it on <laughs> Put it on Betty. <laughs> well, Steve, where would it because your folks were in Michigan, right? Yeah, they were northern tier. But so did they did your dad travel and hunt? Oh yeah. Oh really? Yeah, he would go down south to hunt. They'd go down there with their recurves and hunt pigs. Oh no way. He would travel. He'd go up in Canada and they'd catch suckers. They'd hand grab suckers and fill sacks full of suckers and hang the suckers on the edge of creeks. Fresh bags of fresh suckers and gunny sacks hanging along creeks, and they'd hunt bears like For that. bears, yeah. Okay. He talked about the first bear he ever got. He thought he was sitting so close to his sucker sack. He said when that bear reached his arm up to rip apart the sucker sack, it was in the spring, he said you could see his ribs spread apart, and he was five yards away, and he said he, he could put his arrow right between the spread out ribs. <laughs> he liked to tell that story. Might be he got lucky. Does your mom like to tell the pig story? No. She doesn't shy away from it. Not a fond memory, though. She had gone off to get his arrow, his arrows, because they were ch- they had a pig that they had wounded and were chasing around. And he ran out of arrows, and she went to get an arrow. He sent her to get it, fetch his arrows that he'd shot, and she got an arrow. And then a pig got onto her, and she climbed up in a tree and had to throw my dad an arrow to shoot the pig. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> But she wasn't a big hunter or anything, you know, but she had she'd somehow gotten involved. Would your wife do that for you? My wife would not do that for me. Well, I think I, if you're up in the tree with the arrow and there's a pig, she would never be near the tree. Oh, yeah. Quick she fence, would never been in that Quick situation. fence anecdote uh, that happened this weekend, and it was a good learning lesson. Andrew Whitney and I had just parked and getting ready to hop a fence, going to some private that we had access to and go hunting. And landowners right across the street, and we're just like, you know, saying, hey, what's up? You know, how's it going? Da, da, da. And, he says, uh, you know, there's a gate, you know, down at both corners. You guys can drive down to the gate. And uh, Andrew's like, hey, it's cool. We can just, you know, your fence is so tightly strong, we can just hop the fence and use it like a ladder. No big deal. Like kind of saying thank you for offering the gate, but, you know, we're young and able, and we'll just hop the fence. And the guy's like, 
And then it just clicked right at that moment. I'm like, oh, I'm like, sir, would you prefer that we use the gate? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's like a brand new fence. It's nice and tight, and I don't want you guys to stretch it out. So um, I wonder about that, man. Yeah, it was it was very you know I I didn't had never put those two things together that like you're hopping fences all the time and you're just eventually stretching them out. Yeah. I'm sure a couple hunters aren't really gonna do that to a fence, but in the eyes of a landowner, you know, it's a nice way to show us some respect. So then the bottom strand was just like two feet off the ground. So we're like, oh, well, we'll just duck under it. And of course he goes in his house as we duck under the fence and he comes back out and he was getting groceries or something. And we're both on the other side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of looks at us and he didn't say anything. He just went back to doing his stuff. And I'm sure he's like, oh, sons of bitches. Uh, I like just you, told him. If you just got a new house, you're like, guys, just a new house thing. Yeah, just take your shoes the off and there's footprints in there. That's the like, story yeah. where you're like, yeah, well, you used to have permission. Right. We used to have permission on this guy's Until land. Until we went <laughs> under his fence and he thought we climbed it. All right, back. To, so, so what we were doing? Turkey hunting, Llano, the Llano River. Yeah, I know. During a super bloom in the Texas Hill Country, where holy shit, the flowers. Oh man. Oh, dude. Uh, the primary flower being the blue bonnet lupin, which people in Texas are real proud of. It is a lupin, right? Yeah. 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 Kind of looks. It has a petal, not not the flower petal, but it has a leaf. The body of the plant reminds me of columbine. Yeah. Very yeah, yeah. similar. If yeah. it wasn't in bloom, a fella could be excused for thinking he was looking at Columbine. Um, you don't agree with that? Your wife's a botanist. Oh, you do agree with that. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest errands store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one or two days. Along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever i've been shopping around on fast growing trees and i am fixing to get me a couple spruce trees for my yard right now they have some of the best deals online like up to half off on select plants our listeners get an additional 15 percent off their first purchase when using code meat eater at checkout visit fastgrowingtrees.com and use code meat eater at checkout for an additional 15 percent off fastgrowingtrees.com code meat eater offer is valid for a limited time 
Minimum purchase may be required. Terms and conditions apply. If you've learned anything after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, it's this. There's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, no way, can't be true. But there isn't a catch. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash eater. That's mintmobile.com slash eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash eater. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Uh, hunting the Texas Hill Country. Kind of the tail end of what people were describing as the tail end of the turkey rut. People don't say turkey rut. Why don't they? they I should. like it. I like tail it end too. of the turkey rut. And uh, got out there, and we, we, we were guests. Oh, of, before you get away from that, do you agree? Do you guys agree that that was the case, or is that just the assumption of a few of the locals that we were hanging? Well, out with? I, I from living there and hunting it, I, I think in the in the zone of Texas. I, I, I want to say we're in the north zones where we were. The season had already been going for it's just only no, a week. Not long at all. Only oh, a week. So maybe, so, maybe that's just what they were saying. I was telling Yanni before we went down there, I feel like in the south zone, it's usually mid-March. It starts at the perfect time. Like you get birds fired up. They're coming off the roost fired up, and they're not hand up yet usually when you get there. When you get up into the northern zone where we were, it's just a week or so, 10 days too late. So you start – the opening day is kind of on the – I feel opening day is like the back half of the turkey rut. And so when we get there a week after that, we are, and my, my feelings will on the tail end of it. Hmm. And that's what I felt going down there. The challenge would be that we would have to pull, we would have to either find toms that were running solo or, or get real slick on the ones that weren't. It, I know. I know I said it, but it's like, I feel like it's just hard to understand with turkeys. There is a beginning right turkeys spend their winter in large winter flocks okay if you go out hunting just talking to matt the other day some of his buddies were just out in a certain area and my brother was telling me how his buddies went they got some birds but it was super tough because the birds were still grouped up in groups of 100 or more yeah so when i hear that that's like not that's not the rut no that's winter flock yeah Yeah, you're on one side of it yeah so there's there's something that precedes the beginning, and then you get into where later, where you have groups of males very casually hanging out, not fighting, not pursuing females. The females have poults. They're running around with their poults, and there's like the end. Within that, I don't think it's like this real... I don't know that everyone's on the same schedule and it's this real timeline. I think it's kind of this. It's, it's, whitetails are similar. I mean, you could be in a place where you're not seeing a whole lot of action and then you turn around, there's a buck chasing a doe. Yeah. You know, that, it's similar with turkeys 
in my mind. I mean, you can run into, you be hunting all, all week and run into one bird that makes it seem easy. Yeah. You know, however you run into them. Or on Monday, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Goblin. Who, then Tuesday, it's like nothing's happening. Wednesday, it's unbelievable again. Uh, we showed up at this spot. We were the get. We were down there because the guys uh, we worked close to with Yeti and the guy and Ben used to work real close with Yeti. Yep. Um, we were guests to go hunting down on uh, hunting down there with those guys. And the thing that happens to me turkey hunting all the time in new spots, and I cannot stand it, is when you get to a spot that you never hunted before and it's dark. So you arrive in the dark and you go out in the dark in the morning and you're hearing a bird gobble but you've never seen the place and you have no idea what anything looks like. I can't tell if I like that or hate it. I kind of hate that. You know? I got it. With turkeys, it's not bad just because they're on the roof. The first morning, me and Cow were standing there. Like, they were hammering on the roost. Uh, yeah. Down by where you guys were by the river, at least, or between the two where our zones were. It's cool to just be in a place where you're like, I don't know where that is, but I know there's a turkey over there. Because you, know, you don't get that. You get that with elk in other places, but you don't get that whitetails or anything else in Texas, that's for sure. You can't stand there and be like, oh, turkey's over there. I don't yep. know where that is. Keep just walking in the dark. I like it because it's novel. Because the next morning, it's not going to be like that. Yeah. Like the it. next morning, like, you know that one spot? Which is why I like going to like, <laughs> they like the new deer ranch every other year. You know? Because I like going to see some new country. Yeah. But sitting there in the dark and there's a bird hammering and you're like, like, if you go to a spot you know well, like Doug. Doug can sit on his front porch here, bird gobble, and probably tell you what tree it's in. Mm-hmm. You know, just that familiarity. Or if you're in the woods and you hear a turkey gobbling on the ground, when you know an area real well, you're like, I know what he's doing. I bet he's on there. Yeah. You know that little lane how there's like the wide spot? And they like to strut in there. He's probably there, so we should sneak around, right? Heard when birds in, there a hundred times. When you're in a new spot, you hear it, and you don't know what yeah you don't you, you don't know like how you should move or what you should do and how you should get over there and the sun comes up and there's like a big downed dead tree right there where you're like no bird in the history of turkeys would ever jump over the top of that well, thing cal and i ended up doing that with a, a set of railroad tracks we didn't know there were railroad tracks there but you end up in hunts like this where you don't know what you're doing really you just kind of have the landscape in front of you you're just kind of poking and prodding at it you know when you know the landscape you just boop, charge over get to a spot where you need to be done I spent two mornings listening to turkeys gobble that I only later realized weren't even on the property we were on. Yeah. Yeah. Cal and I, yeah. Cal and I crawled up five birds and hit them, and they were just strutting on another side of a fence. We did, had to then check, oh, Onyx Maps, that is not where we can hunt. Yeah. The, so like, it takes a lot of mental capacity, too, because like we were like, char- like, okay, there's the birds, get set up, here we go. And then it was like, wait a minute. If only they would come over this 18-strand fence. Yeah. Strong with dead deer. Uh, So, yeah, that first morning we set up. We went out and set up, and it was funny because this is the first time it's ever happened to me. We were with a photographer. Nice kid. Nice guy. And we... Old Tex. I hesitate to even say this. We set up in a spot. Texans have a great affinity for the blue bonnet flower. Apparently, it's like a rite of passage that when you have a kid, you take the kid out in the spring and have him dance around. This is the Texas thing. You take your kid out in the spring and make him like dance around in the blue bonnets or laying them all cute and take pictures of them. They love the damn flowers. So did they do that for you? We, your photographer I hesitate ready? to say this. 
I hesitate to say this. This is deeply <laughs> embarrassing. It doesn't. This is, I'm just going to tell it, though. Things are picking up. Because this is a safe space. We set up in a spot because of the presence of blue bonnet, blue bonnet flowers. That's embarrassing. That was the site selection for our setup to try to call birds okay. off the roost. Got it. I thought you were going to go. There was also like, a shitload of gobblers nearby. Wasn't a bad spot, but I would. I I feel like it's necessary for me to say that the photographer was like, since there's a number of spots that one could set up, I think it would be really cool if we could set up with all these blue bonnets. Because imagine to get a big gobbler, to get photos of a big gobbler like a small, cute child strolling through the blue bonnets as long as you didn't have to be the small cute child in the scenario that's that's fine and that is how we set up and i think that it was good thinking cosmic it was cosmic retribution that we did not call a rooster in off the tree gobbler i think that the lord the (laughs) lord term not a rooster a gobbler i like the rooster rooster the the, The turkey that's roosted the lord of the hunt the goddess of the hunt diana Mm-hmm. Is her name? Yep. The goddess of the hunt said, uh, I, will pun- I will now punish these men for having the presence of blue bonnet flowers uh, inform or dictate to them where they should set up to best kill this turkey, and I will not let that turkey go in their direction. And, he- and they didn't. And we then hunted around. It was like, like every- I feel like every time you turkey, like I need to start writing down what happens when people turkey hunt. Because... You somehow carry with, in your head, you carry the best days of turkey hunting in your head as normal. And I need to make like a, a sticker or something that I keep, or, or a little note card that I keep my turkey vest that says like, in the morning, before it gets light out, you will hear many gobbles. And then the next line will be, uh, after when it gets sunny out, or the daylight comes, the birds will will not gobble as much. It's normal. <laughs> and then this is normal. And then be like, as the morning progresses, you, if you're lucky, will hear scattered gobbles. Because that's like how every, but every time you're like, you're in the, it's dark. Gobble, 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 gobble. And then they stop gobbling. Like, what happened, <laughs> dude? They shut. They shut down. They just hit the ground. They hit the ground up. and never made another peep. And I like, I, I re-suffer that realization every single time I go turkey hunting, as though I'm experiencing something. Not like, what happened? They hit the ground and shut right up. How that many times ne- have I said that in my life? That never happens. It's like, why? That is normal. Yep. So. They hit the ground and didn't gobble a lot. And I started entering, oh, it's post-rut. It's like something weird happened. And then you just start hunting. Yeah. And then it plays out like how it plays out. <laughs> and the other thing is, the, the, the other turkey mistake is we start hunting around and we encounter the Lano River. We're hunting on the Lano River. And I guess a, a few years ago, this was like a very lush river bottom. A uh, lot of vegetation. But they had this historic flood, like a 100-year flood, or you know, people are always throwing around a 100-year flood. A, a ripping national news flood. And it, not only did it scour the river channel of vegetation, but it deposited like full-on beach sand, 
where this thing looks like the Mojave Desert from bank to bank. It looks like the most inhospitable yeah. turkey thing in the world. And we start talking about turkeys like that live on the, like, we're like, there's turkeys on the other side of the river as though they're in another realm, that they, they, they exist in another dimension. As our, the, the river seems so severe and wide and un-turkey friendly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you start dividing the world up and there's like the turkeys that live over here <laughs> and there's the turkeys that live over there. And the turkeys that live over there are... We can hear those turkeys and see them, but they're not our turkeys. But they weren't in our, they weren't in our world. Yeah, Cal and I did not have that experience. You didn't feel that. Well, well that, feel that. not being the re- yeah, not being the reality. But that was my like perception of it to see turkeys over there and like, ha, huh, you know, right? It's like the other bad. side of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, too bad that they're over there and we're over here because what turkey in his right mind would ever walk across that? And we hunt around all morning and have some uh, here scattered gobbles, and all of a sudden we look, and here's two toms that had in the middle of the day flown across the river. And everybody knows turkeys don't fly. They don't like to fly. And they, they don't cross water. They, they don't f- fly across rivers. They flew across the river Ever. just for whatever, because we're over there. I like to think it was because we were calling near the bank of the river. Flew across the river. And then we're walking across the Mojave in such a way that we had all the time in the world to go set up, uh, to go set up where they were going to hit our bank because this is the, the, the river's the, the property line. The other thing messing with my head is there's the dead deer hanging there. We're like right by the dead deer in the impenetrable fence. And then I got like, oh, sure, they'd cross the river, but they'll definitely hang up. But did that fence have the lower tight strands? It had low, yeah. You couldn't crawl under this fence. Was that the you same had to fence look that you were on later the next day? With Danielle, that with one? Danielle? Same fence? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was it had a low wire. You couldn't get under it. Yep. You had to scour around for a way to get, to, get, to get under the fence. And we always had to go over that fence. It had a low wire. And then I'm in, it's in my head that like somehow the turkeys will not like that fence. But we, we get set up. It's me and the photographer. We get set up to call. And I've already got my gut and knife out because like <laughs> two times, no hens coming across that thing. And I, like I said, I, I feel as though I like to think it was related to the fact that we were working this little road down there calling. I like to feel as though they're like, oh, there's a lot of action over there. We're going to go check it out. So we get set up and, um, I'm in my, and, and I put out a decoy in the road, not knowing that the road ended right next to me. Because I'm thinking as the turkeys come and if they can get over the fence, they'll look down the road, see the decoy and then come down the road. And you get, so I get all set up. I'm aiming that direction. And then instead of the fence somehow stopping the turkeys, the next time they gobble, they're like already on the other side of the fence. Like they didn't even register the presence of the fence. Jumped it. I don't know what they did. Didn't care about the river. Didn't care about the fence. Didn't see the decoy. And then they wind up right next to us out of view, uh, drumming. God, I love that sound. Do you feel, though, that those birds were responding to you? They were just kind of doing it? Oh, you could turn them. You, it was like throwing a light switch. You okay. just make them gobble. At this point, they're hotter and hot. But they were just like... It's like, yep, yep, yep. Every time. Out of reach, though. Out of sight. When, when you hear... It's not really true. 
when you can hear them drumming, they're close. Yes. But I just but like like last weekend we heard some drumming that was not close. Really? Heard them drumming just, from just well carry. out of shotgun range. Oh yeah, I'd Twi- say sub a hundred. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you know what to. The sound is and what you're listening for. You can hear them at sub 100. You always need to say, I feel like I hear one drumming. Are they just like uh, expanding their diaphragms? Like, whoop. No, they're vibrating their vibrate. feathers and holding them tight. Huh. You ever, when you kill a bird, uh, when you kill a turkey, harvest them. You ever notice how his feathers are all worn? His primaries are worn yeah, down? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because they also like walk around and like yeah. leave those little scratch marks. Yeah. That's a great way to tell if you're in a good area. The strut marks yeah but when he's drumming he's just going it's similar to a rough grouse turkeys and roads man like they love a road 90 so many times probably just put that on your list of turkey reassurances it's like you know you may not want to leave the road turkeys they can't help themselves no <laughs> they like to see what's going on around them they like to get out in the road they like to walk roads they like to strut in roads I mean, he's not going to strut in a briar patch. Right. He likes to get out and display. But he's drumming. Yanni, do your drum noise. See, I go like this. <laughs> Spitting a little tobacco spit. <laughs> yep. And it's like the most, that, that is, if I could have just one part of turkey hunting, a lot of people would be like the gobble, spring thunder. It's a powerful noise. It's a powerful noise. If I could have one part of turkey hunting in pill form that I could just take the pill and get the feeling, it would be the feeling of when he's gobbling and gobbling and he stops gobbling and you wonder what happened and you like he spooked something and then all of a sudden, (laughs) if you could get that in a pill, I would be addicted to that pill. Dude, you should sneak up behind me in the office. I just go, I'm like, ah, yes, he did it. God, I love that sound. That's the, the best. Spring it's Thunder, the best. I told you about that ranch. Uh, it's actually here in Montana. The first time uh, I went out there, there were so many turkeys. Like, I just got up early, got up on this little ridge, you know, and it's like a series of small hills and ridges of eastern Montana, and hit uh, diaphragm call. Just burp, burp, burp. And then it was like, blah, 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 blah. and then that would cue the next ridge and the next ridge and the next ridge. And it was, that was the way it, it was in my mind. It that's was called like rolling thunder. Rolling thunder. That's one of, that's my other favorite like, turkey my thing. When God. you hit, like you hit a crow call or something and you get a shock gobble and the other turkey's like, what the fuck? They're like, me too, me too. Me too. Go, I'm here too. Go. I'm the man. I'm the man. <laughs> uh, so they're drumming right next to us. And I got this photographer with me. So, Nice guy. Real excited. Like, he likes to hunt. That's how I knew I was going to like him right away because he was, like, out there to hunt turkeys. He was, if, like, you could tell if you said to him, you could have hunting or taking pictures, he'd probably go hunting. He'd, he'd go with hunting. That's mm-hmm. my feeling. Um, the turkeys circle around, drumming, 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 and all of a sudden, they're in the photographer's lap. And I have to change my position, and I'm not able, like, I'm real nervous about what kind of shot I'm going to have until these turkeys, because they're circling the calling, trying to figure out where's the hen, where's the hen, and they're in his lap. And all of a sudden, you hear the noise that no turkey hunter likes to hear. Uh, 
And that's his uh, way of saying something is not right. That's like, huh? Yeah. What? Yeah. Huh? What? 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 Huh? He starts doing that business. And then he gets faster. When he gets faster, you're like, oh, God. And if his head was blue or white, like he's excited, all of a sudden it's red. He's got his head up erect. That is. Yanni, his snood changes. The color change is an amazing thing to witness. One of the craziest things in the outdoors, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's the greatest thing in the world. Turkey's head changes color. Yeah. Goes red. It's trouble. He goes. And hey, then, I got to interrupt and just follow up because I've just been doing a little bit of. Oh, I got to return to the word butch. Drum, drum and spit. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been thinking about that word. Drumming and spitting. Everything I'm reading is saying that it, it, the, the spit, which comes first, is actually from his mouth. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the drum is actually him forcing air up through uh, from his diaphragm. No. Yeah. It's not him doing his wings? Yeah. Really? And a lot of people say that that, you know, obviously it's, it's attracting hens. What are you looking at? The truth about turkeys or is this a legit website? <laughs> I've been everywhere from turkeytruthers.com to uh, a state agency website to his run that article his, through Snopes. Han, his his is is air that he's forcing. No. Yeah. Is he not doing that with his wings? You mean you mean when he's, he's not doing dra- like a rough grouse when he's dragging him? No, he's not. The ground. He's not. The rough grouse, though, I got to point out, is the same <laughs> way, man. They're built. They have the little waddle up there, a little pocket of when fat. When a rough grouse drums, he's drumming. He's beating his wings, and it sounds like someone trying to get a lawnmower started. Yeah, yeah. But there's got to be some air involved in that too, right? Yeah, he puffs up. Yeah, and he's expelling some air. I'd, I'd be willing to wager because when you find him. They have that throat sack is puffed up too. Yeah. So it's but a combination. When you hear way off in the distance, someone trying to get a lawnmower started. Honda generator is what it always was to me. It's like, who yep. is doing He's that? on his log. He's on his drumming log. Do you know that uh, they, they feel that that's a limiting factor in rough grouse populations? Suitable drumming logs. Oh, open space. He's got to have a drumming log. A lack of see whatever. He's got to have it. Like, to have a rough grouse set up a spot. To have a male set up shop, he needs to have a drumming log at a specific height, and he needs to have a specific diameter, a perimeter of visible ground around it. And absent that, like you can, you can manipulate rough grouse numbers in an area by creating suitable drumming logs. That's awesome. He needs to find where he can get the right height and see around him and make sure it's safe around him to then get up there and start going... Yes, I used to. I feel like I should do an album of all the animal noises <laughs> that I know how to do. Yo, you could sell it as like a sleep aid. Yeah. Like a no- white noise generator. Me going. And me going. And me going. I remember. And now you would just be a very gentle. And now a rough. And now. And now a monkey. And now. Now a dazzle of zebras. So. Oh, I, th- I thought well, I could I'm, tra- hear... I'm trying to tell my hunting story. Oh, tell your and hunting And I want story. to get around to, to the word that we need to revisit. Yeah. <laughs> and then I want to hear your hunting stories. So he's like... And I think a lot of turkey hunters, if you were a super moral turkey hunter, I feel that you would not shoot the turkey. Like, do you think Parker Hall would shoot a turkey that had started to putt? 
Oh my gosh, yes. If he was in range? Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. He thinks it's immoral to shoot a turkey using a decoy? Yeah. But you think he thinks it's moral to shoot a turkey that's putting? Just because he's busted you? Yeah. Wait a minute. Parker Hall thinks it's immoral to shoot a turkey. He thinks there's a special place in hell for people who use turkey decoys. Oh. Well, we're all hot in here. He's from Georgia. We asked him about turkey decoys, and his answer was, I don't want to go to hell. Now He's from a, a state with a rich, deep turkey hunting history. Yeah, I know. I've hunted a lot of them states. I've never heard that. Uh, like he puts it, man. Does he call to him? Oh, oh, like a, couldn't it be the same? He a, no, he wouldn't bushwhack he's a seducer. No, I mean it's not anywhere near the same because, like, he puts it too. It's like when there were no decoys, you had to be a damn fine turkey hunter and a damn fine caller to kill turkeys. Decoys came out, and every Joe Schmo out there was starting to kill birds. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I, like, I, I totally well, I agree with him. I use decoys. I'm trying a bunch of different kinds of decoys this season so I can speak to it from experience. Do they give me an incredible advantage? Yes. I just don't. You know I what? I got like, two so far. No, they've seen. What? The, the ones I'm talking about never saw the decoy. Your Texas hunt. You're, the one, the that was all birds. sweet talking. All sweet talking is is Until using they, is using a fan like the next level like a real like the one that you made. That's you know? extra that's like a next level. Yeah. If there if hell has solitary confinement, that's where you're at. What happens in hell's? Do you know that they're able to calculate the temperature of hell? Because the description of hell talks about a brimstone in a certain state. Yep. And so I think you can tell like very precisely how hot hell is. That's good. That's be good to know. Because uh, that's apparently where we're going. For yeah, I think that using a turkey fan, even though I do it, I feel that if this is true, if Parker Hall is correct, I feel that that's that's you go to hell and then into solitary confinement. No, You're not like, allowed to be with the other people in hell. Like Parker Hall is kind of. I would like listen, man. I drive a car. Like it's way easier to get to town nowadays in a car. Are you driving a horse and buggy? Like. As time goes on, we're as humans, we take the advantages that we're given. Technological. No. What, if, what if I told you, hey, take this here corn, stir it up with this here sedative, and sprinkle that out, and then in the morning go out and pick up your turkeys? Would you be like, oh yeah, it's like driving a car to work? Starting to sound like a guy who'd kill a turkey with a drone. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, yeah, you're talking about stuff that I know you don't believe. Uh, maybe, maybe you got me. I'll I think about just, it more. I'm coming back to you later. Maybe a future episode. Let's say I said here, take a, get a fence, right? And you hotwire it super high voltage so that every animal that hits the fence dies. And you just go out in the morning and pick them all up. Because if we just wanted the easiest like driving, version, like you would just bait the, bait, the ditch, <laughs> bait the ditch. Wait till all, however, we, could, we had four tags each. Wait till four toms are in the ditch eating that bait and then sit. Well, I'm talking about. Do you know about I'm that talking old? about a subtle change. Yeah, you guys are taking it. You guys are taking it to the extreme. I'm talking about a subtle change in the approach to turkey hunting, and or a subtle change in the approach no, to it's conveyance. A, it's an efficacy question, or or a, can you, right, can you right. explain what you're talking about? Because you're talking about some old timey business that people aren't going to know about. Oh yeah, you can read about it in uh, in Tenth uh, Legion. Tenth Legion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Kelly's book. He talks about Colonel the, Tom one, Kelly. Colonel Tom Kelly. Uh, one of the ways that they shot out turkeys is when pot hunters, meat hunters, I think he calls them, 
would bait a, a, they'd dig a ditch that was maybe a, a foot or 18 inches deep. They'd bait it with corn for a while. And then on the day that they wanted to reap or harvest turkeys. Not reaping. That's where you take a fan and walk up on them with a pistol. They would sit at the end of the ditch, maybe five, ten yards off it, looking down the ditch. So that once all the turkeys were in there feeding and you could make one call, all of them would lift up their heads. And with one shot, you could rake across all of their heads and then fill a gun very, sack full and walk home. Very efficient. It's very, like driving to work. Very efficient. No, no, Ranella, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Let's go. Let's go. So, well, I'm talking about a subtle, that's like using a decoy is a subtle change in turkey hunting tactics. Yes. It's a, like it's, it's a, it's a move forward. So right? subtle a, a, you could do without though. Yeah. It's a it's it's a a slight move forward in turkey hunting tactics. It's Here's not it's not filling a ditch with corn. Much in the same <laughs> way I'm getting this fucking analogy. Much in the same way that using a horse and buggy to get to get to town is a whole lot different than using a, a car to get to town. Yeah. It's a subtle change in the way that in conveyance. So there's my analogy. Now here, well, here's what I was thinking the other day because I, I the other day not on the don't hunt. change the subtle. You're with me now. I'm totally with you because okay. I'm going to come in and say that like, I'm going to come in on, I'm going to come toward you on this. Okay. The, not the turkey hunt I'm trying to talk about. And remember, that story is left where he's going burp, burp, and there's a photographer standing next to him. Yeah. Um, last weekend, I got a turkey using a fan. I couldn't move a turkey. He was with a whole horde of hens and he was not Gonna, he was having the time of his life. He was in the tur- He was in a situation the turkeys dream about being in. This turkey was not gonna move, and they were moving away. And I took a turkey fan from the turkey that I'm trying to tell the story about, which I took the fan off. And the photographer showed me a phenomenal trick of how to cut the fan off so that it becomes like an actual fan that you can fold up and spread out and fold up and spread out. Ooh, I yep. want to see that. Dude, it was the Is it any one of the different hottest? how you would normally do it? Yeah. It is. There's an other joint. Normally when you cut it off, you cut it yep. off at the Roman nose. Yep. Pope's nose. You cut it off it. at, yeah, not the Roman nose. You cut it off at the Pope's nose. He's like, no. You, if you go above the Pope's nose, there's... Like, he's got 18 tail feathers. There's like 18. It looks like when you're separating the ribs on a deer, not sawing through them, but popping the joints. There's like 18 little teeny joints above the Pope's nose. And you cut there. And then when you mount your fan, I used some, I mounted my fan. <sighs> okay. You know Ronnie Bame? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had a tremendous impact on my life. Ronnie Bame. Fixes old and on shit. the Miller Brewing Company. Yeah, he has the he, Ronnie Bame affected me, and he affects the bottom line of Miller. So Ronnie Bame gets frustrated by shitty coolers like Coleman coolers. Yep. Because what always fails on a Coleman cooler? Hinges and latches. Yeah, Ronnie Bame is a millwright by trade, so he deals with a lot of conveyor material. Conveyor material turns out is wonderful for repairing things. So Ronnie Bame always calls around, hunks a conveyor. And when his cooler fails, he makes a hinge out of conveyor belt material. You just put the lid on how you want it, take the conveyor belt material, and screw or bolt it to the lid and to the body of the cooler. And I don't care if World War III happens on top of that cooler, that hinge will still be there. 
The cooler might be melted, the hinge will be there intact and fine. It's indestructible. I had a hunk of conveyor belt material laying around, but I switched away from shitty coolers. So now I just have conveyor belt material and Yeti coolers. So I took my fan and cut it the way the photographer Austin showed me how. What the hell's his name? Austin, Austin Stapleton. Like that guy. So I cut it the way Austin Stapleton showed me and then drilled a hole and mounted it on a conveyor belt handle, which has a very natural flop to it. And it's very limber and looks super realistic when you twist it. And it's ultra light. It's an ultra light turkey fan. And, and collapsible. I can, and it collapses. So I can take my fan and go fold it up. And then when I get ready, and I tightened, the, I tightened it up just right with a screw, where when I get ready, I open it like a lady in a Western, opening her fan up, a floozy in a Western, <laughs> and open the fan up, and it stays open. Man, can I borrow that? Sure. Thank you. Where yeah. was I? How many did you, oh, how so many did you day, make? So here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I'm, I'm going to be done. Well, I got to tell my story real quick. Then I got to talk about the thing I keep wanting to talk about. The other day, I'm sneaking up with this fan on a turkey that won't budge. And I'm just using the fan to block my view. And he's actually posturing toward my fan. And I eventually snake my shotgun barrel literally through the feathers of the fan and wait for the hens to get clear. I couldn't shoot because he had all those hens. Eventually, the hens got clear and I shot the turkey. And I'm feeling guilty about it. But then I'm like, you're using an actual, like what could be purer? You're using the feathers from a turkey to go after a turkey. You're like a it's not plastic. It's not rubber. You made it yourself. You, you devised your own. You're using bio, like you're using like biomimicry. Yeah. How is that not pure? But it's pure. It's like purer to have some rubber factory produced turkey facsimile on a steel stake driven into the ground. But it's, it's less pure to like take the bird's own feathers and use it and fashion a device by which you can go get another. You're tur- bringing into this whole purity scale. I haven't said anything about that. I'm more ta- just talking about the straight up efficacy. Yeah, I'm just wrestling with the whole thing, Zalyani. Okay. <laughs> well, I think, you know, because there's some people that think any sort him? of blind hunting is unethical. There's people, but, not, but people not, have been doing that for thousands of years it's not eth- I, I keep using ethics uh, yeah ethics i was gonna say it's not quite personal the right how i like i would not want to i have never and would not want to unless i was with my kids shoot a turkey out of a pop-up blind i've never done it yeah i would only do it with my kids but if we're like being honest experience. like hunting right now is just a lot of different forms of how we prefer to hunt mm-hmm. yeah it's like, preference versus ethics like to yeah. me ethics when i think about turkey hunting ethics goes to Am I using a bow or a shotgun? I'm using a shotgun every single time I possibly can because I feel like it's ethically a better way to get the job done. Yeah, wound loss with wound bows loss. Is, is severe. Severe on turkeys. Severe. I've seen some of the best archers that we know in modern hunting times wound turkeys, three, four of them in one hunt. So yeah, I, just, I know some really good bow hunters that did a lot of turkey bow hunting and eventually were like, it's just, I switched back to That's where I've, I've, two or three years straight, just hunt with a bow, and I'm like, no, nope. There's no unless it's a archery only season and I, the birds are fired up. I'm staying home. I just it's got to be a shotgun for me. That's ethical, but the preference. So I'm like you, hunting in a blind, like being out in the springtime turkey hunting. You want to like have your full senses, your full set of senses. It's like the woods are alive for the first time in a long time. I want my full set of senses. I don't want to be sitting in a tent 
sitting over a plastic thing. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. I like I just sitting against a tree. I don't see, yeah. And that's what, and there's, no, again, it's like, there's where the preference and the ethics thing goes. I prefer not to hunt with a bow because with a bow, you should probably be in a blind or it's better to be in a blind. Ethically, I don't hunt with a bow because it's, it's a less effective killing tool. So both of those things are happening simultaneously for me when yeah. it comes to turkeys. It's, yeah, it's like it's, there's so much. Like I use a shotgun, which is easy. It's easy to kill a turkey with a shotgun. Uh, I like to sit in trees or I, I, I lean against a tree because I don't like that feeling of being in a blind. And then I move around a lot turkey hunting, so I don't want to drag the blind around. But if I saw a guy in a pop-up blind with a bow, two things I don't do, do I feel like, oh, he's not at – I'll be like, no, he just has different personal preferences. Yeah. It's nothing to do with like – like I keep saying moral because of my own – I'm only saying moral because like the own feeling I get. If I call a turkey in, like in turkey, like purity, the thing that turkey I'd be most proud of is that there's no decoy and you hear a gobble way off two in the afternoon or no it'd be this it's two in the afternoon there's no decoy and you shock gobble up a turkey at two in the afternoon and then you gradually coax him into shotgun range and he comes in and he's strutting that is the pinnacle of turkey hunting sprinkled with a few gobbles a few gobbles you get them hot you get them like that to me is like wow oh there's some perfect every version that's less than that it's not as it's it's not as exciting to me. There's a perfect combination of the amount of time he's allowed to strut within your sight and the and shooting him. Mm-hmm. Like if he's if he comes rolling in behind a tree, you're like ah turkey, boom, shoot him. It's not the same level of purity as if he comes in, spits, drums, struts back and forth, is looking around. You stay still and give him you one. Fooled him. The you bird fooled that uh, Steve purity. called in for me. Personal purity. Um, I definitely had. Can you hold off? Because it's not your turn to tell your hunting story. I yeah. want to hear the whole thing. Okay. But I just got to finish two quick things up. Yeah. I'll start with the description of Stephen Rinella and his prowess in the woods. However you want to do it. <laughs> uh, so the bird putts, and I have to actually wait for the bird to move away from the photographer. So the purity score is going down. Because who the hell hunts with a photographer? Well, I do all the time. But it's like I could imagine Diana, the goddess of hunting, being like, nah. wanting to hit me with lightning. So the bird's moving away. He gets clear of the photographer. Then I'm like, man, kind of a dicey shot, but I get a nice shooting gap. Like, shoot the turkey. And he did. Piled up. Yes. Yeah. I mean, can we, yeah. I don't know, man. Those. I've had a lot of flopping birds. As it, my first instinct after pulling the trigger is like get to your feet as fast as humanly possible oh, and yeah. sprint to that bird. They will get up and leave. Yes. That's like the turkey hunting. That's like the thing you see, the trope. It's like you kill it and you run over. Immediately drop your gun and run over there. But I'll tell you, man, those turkey loads are dude freakish. We'll get it to my story too. But freakish. I mean, dropping turkeys and not even a twitch. Was your bird like that? I mean, he didn't even No, he fl- well, I got injured by him. Oh. When I say piled up, I mean he wasn't going anywhere. But I got—I ran over there and I got by. He was still scratched my eye on his wing when he was beating his wing. Um, but yeah, it is good. I, I don't know, man. The one you guys are speaking of, I'm assuming, is the federal uh, TSS. TSS yes. tungsten. Tungsten super shot. Super you shot. guys were shooting the sevens, I believe. Sevens, and, and it used to be like because the way it used to work is 
And I think some states still do. You're still not allowed to use sevens in some states. Or is it you're not allowed to use nines? No, I think it was. when we. I think it, who were we talking to? Was it that One of the guys we were federal. talking to or the Sportsman's Alliance guys? They both might have been working on that issue. Like the law Just was, the, the law rule was, was archaic. Anti- the yeah. rule was antiquated. Yeah. Like they, they, cause they, they were, they had rules around shot, like pellet size mm-hmm. for, in, for efficacy, but with the new, like super fast, like high velocity, high density tungsten shot, you can just put a bunch more pellets. So TSS, the tungsten's in the word, right? Tungsten super shot. Is tungsten what it's super shot. Yeah. So you can use sevens, nines. They even nines. have tens, which we haven't tried yet, but I've definitely shot turkeys with the sevens and the nines. And another thing that you get from you going smaller shot sizes, you just get so many more pellets downrange. It's a dense. I mean, we opened up some a twenty gauge um, that was a mix of five, six, sevens, and poured it out on some. That paper. was called third degree. Yeah. And then right next to it, opened up a, a nine and with nines, and I mean, you can just see it. It's just, I mean. You're doubling, maybe tripling the amount of pellets going down range. Wow. I used to All use it third, takes is one pellet to kill a bird, you know? Right. Yeah. I used to use third degree and liked it, but now I like that other stuff because you get really, really dense patterns with that many pellets. And yeah. those things are zipping. Yeah. And they're, they're spending. You know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, man, that stuff's too expensive for me. And, and look, man, if you're the guy that just rolls around his ranch and you know you're not going to actually be turkey hunting but if you see a turkey you're going to jump out and shoot him and then you can keep going about your work you know that's like the ranch montana rancher type of a hunt right for sure where, where you're just efficient as possible and spending money but if you're going to travel Damn. let's say more than an hour to go turkey hunting and you're like worrying about whether you want to spend uh, a dollar or 50 cents on a turkey shell versus the five or six bucks um, or even higher for the TSS. It ranges. I'm looking online I think, I right think now. I think it's a moot point. Yeah. You could spend up to 45 bucks for a box of, for a box of uh, five. Nine bucks and you touch that trigger. Yeah. But how much is your turkey taking? How much is your travel yeah, on? How a, many do you actually use? I've shot two shots and killed two turkeys this year. Yep. They come in boxes of five. If you're using more than five in a year, you're having a good year. If once you pattern, once you, pattern once you shoot shot. a couple to yeah. pattern your thing, it, it is a box should last years. <laughs> that's that. That is where I would say it is expensive. You have a five shot pattern. That's uh, that yeah. Gets but I don't know, man. But it, the, with the tungsten being, dude, listen, the confidence that I have right now, shooting my setup, jamming them. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I'm confident far farther than i should be i'm limiting myself because of like the new setup where it's like i don't need to shoot as far as i think i could with those loads well, and you think of like tungsten choke. is denser right denser than traditional lead or traditional heavy shot and so you're getting less like you pull the trigger they got those setback forces you're getting less you know deformed pellets and that's what causes flyers so you have less flyers a denser fucking pattern and we all poleaxe turkeys like drop them on the, like, on the yeah. spot. You know what's interesting is when I went over there, I'm, after we got the bird and tagged it up, we're walking back, and I realized there was a tree I didn't even register in my mind that had about a two-and-a-half-inch diameter, and that tree looks like it absorbed half that load. <laughs> but the other half went through and, yeah. Now was my turkey hunt. No. Now, what did you want to say about my haircut? Oh, the word butch, just an interesting thing from childhood that I didn't pay much attention to. There was, I grew up down the beach from a gay woman who would fish with my father and his friends. And she was elderly. 
And it's just the weirdest thing, and it like it troubles me and puzzles me now because th- I didn't even know what it meant at the time. They would call her, and she would call herself Butch. Mm-hmm. And my father and his friends were, you know, World War II guys. I. I do not think they would have, unfortunately, I do not think they would have been as accepting of a gay man that they hunted with, that they fished with. Yeah. Probably not. But they, were, they would walk with in the morning, walk dogs with, and fish with Butch, but call her Butch, which is a derogatory term for a gay woman. So it's, a, it's like a derogatory lesbian term. And I just I, like I would love to go back if I could go back in my brain now to understand like what that dynamic was, how she perceived the word, how it came to be that she would go by that nickname and ask those guys like what because it was just so matter of fact. It was like, oh, yeah, the gay woman. Well, Butch, I would, I would who imagine, we call Butch. I would imagine now that's still within the community, and again, imagining <clears throat> that with uh, amongst. You, you still might call each other Butch, yourself Butch, but it's not something that someone outside of the community would call. You yeah, know. she was like, yeah, I like mean, a I, buddy, like buddies with these guys, and, and so I don't know like what they're under. Just like you know, the, how words are used change so much. Like I don't know what their understanding of it was. Did they were they like, oh, I shouldn't, or, or were they just like that's just matter of fact. Well, I have no idea. I would imagine I have no like, idea. She was like accepted in that group and that's their that's their acceptance of her was to call her that right like hey butch oh you're probably one of us now but i i imagine with all these types of terms in 2019 as a less accepted oh i if i could be if i was probably if i could be be saying that yeah like now if i could go back in time i would go down and knock on the door and and be like you know uh I, I'd like to discuss something with you because there's a thing that we all do that I want to understand better. She might say, "Well, I feel <laughs> like I feel like that's one of the ways I can get accepted, and like if that's what I got to go through to get accepted, that's fine. Maybe we had a uh, we talked about this. I never retouched on this, but uh, when we were down in Mexico, you guys are all there. No, I think you had you were take you had to take off. Maybe we talked. A woman wrote in, and she, we were talking about finding hunting partners. And a woman wrote in. And she said, "I'm a woman." And I'm gay. And it makes it very hard for me to find people to hunt with. And I talked about that letter. And we got, I don't know how, a dozen plus people writing in, being like, I'll hunt with her anytime she wants. You yeah. could give her my email address. And not one person wrote in to be like, screw that lady. Everybody's like, dude, send her my way. We'll hunt with her. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh Cal, you were saying about how good Steve is. In the woods. Oh, I didn't say good. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. One, uh, yeah, voice of our generation for you turkey calling. Whatever. That was good, though, Yanni. I like that. Would we want to talk, start this one with a conversation about zones? What zones mean and how your turkey became a conversation of zones? Well, it just became a place that we all got to meet up at. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it was kind of like, oh, I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. What are you doing over there? Um. I think yeah we can we can get to that but uh, Ben and I had been hunting all morning Steve had been hunting all morning you guys stayed in your own zone yeah and eventually we heard a shot as we were walking back in and we'd kind of discussed not hunting for the midday and um, going to get some awesome barbecue um, 
and eventually it kept hearing the bird gobble from kind of the little ranch compound there. It's like, all right, this is yeah, this bird's this is 200 yards away from stupid. where sitting so, on a porch. Throw my gear back on, start walking down the road into my zone, into Steve's zone, and, and then I here, caught you, caught here, you entering my zone. Then here comes Steve <laughs> and gung ho to to go hunt, and it's helpful to have a collar and a shooter. Uh, I would I would say most times turkey hunting, and um, so uh, Steve and I um, headed headed back into the woods, um, and then there was some discussion as to, oh, wait, I just told Yanni and Danielle that I was leaving, and now we're coming back into this zone. So Yanni and Danielle made me working into what had previously just been Steve's zone. Um, and that took some some time to kind of figure that out and communicate uh, via cell phone with some, like, spotty coverage phone is dropping and out still things. led to hurt feelings <laughs> i'm not sure how hurt the feelings really were yanni listen i've spent a tremendous amount of time with him that was as upset as he gets that's 10 no yes you see me with my kids <laughs> that is as upset as he gets um were you feeling like you were with your kids at that point were you like no. listen i'm when not he's, upset when yanni sulks just disappointed when he sulks he that's his upset no i've seen him actually flip out on people so that he, that wasn't because t- i've seen him flip out a couple times um but he was sulking he was in the eight he was in the eight sulk but go ahead so while that's getting figured out we're waiting for this bird to call and we're doing some kind of aggressive calling and then finally we hear a gobble and we set up move a very short distance set up call a little bit steve's doing the calling i'm just hanging out the bird gobbles again and we get a very clear impression that the bird is not going to move closer because of um just just the topography of the landscape so we get back on the road again don't leave the road dirty's like them and man we move like 75 yards and then the road cuts back and basically makes more or less within a few degrees a straight line to the turkey and at that point we set up again um i set up in a beautiful turkey killing spot which i didn't like which steve did not like (laughs) so then he repositions the turkey almost blocking the entire (laughs) shooting lane i was like if you're not gonna sit where i want i can at least put the decoy where i want Yes. Um, <laughs> and it was a, a nice little like blind it. corner situation <laughs> and turned into about a 30-yard shot, probably. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. 
You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Errands fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest errands store or visit errands.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one or two days. Along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever i've been shopping around on fast growing trees and i am fixing to get me a couple spruce trees for my yard right now they have some of the best deals online like up to half off on select plants our listeners get an additional 15 percent off their first purchase when using code meat eater at checkout visit fastgrowingtrees.com and use code meat eater at checkout for an additional 15 percent off fastgrowingtrees.com code meat eater offer is valid for a limited time minimum purchase may be required terms and conditions apply make life insurance part of your financial planning this year start shopping now with policy genius to find the right policy to protect your family getting life insurance today means you'll have peace of mind so that if something were to happen to you, your family can cover expenses while getting back on their feet. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. They work for you, not the insurance companies. That means They don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another so you can trust their guidance. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Can I tell you what my concern was? Please do. There was a, a, a Texas fence, not a high one, but a, but a stiffy. Yep. And I couldn't tell what side of the fence he was on. Me neither. And so yes. I was worried that, that I wanted you to be in a position where should he come up the fence line, you had good, a good view through the fence. Yep. And you might have felt that you did, but that's what, that's what I was getting But it's just hard to communicate. That's yeah. what I was getting at. was like, yeah. what if he, I don't know, but what if he. That definitely, that's all. the road was definitely plan A. Plan B, I had, um, you know, about a two and a half foot gap had he come up the other side of the fence and had things worked perfectly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so one call. And, you know, it was one of the call gobbles back where you're like, oh, boy, this this bird is very committed. You can feel it in your tonsils. And will more than likely not make it past this scenario. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, seconds seconds later, his head comes around the blind corner, and I really could have shot him right then. And then part of my brain's like, because there was a Jake decoy. Yeah, his regist- he registered that decoy in a visceral way. Yes. <laughs> and part of me was like, oh, well, hold off and, let, and let's see what this bird does with the Jake decoy. I really want to see that interaction just for future. And then the other part of my brain was like, you're an idiot. Kill that bird right now. <laughs> so I did. But he comes, when he sees that thing, he's got like a, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, it was great. What? It was great. Um, but yeah, that, that thing was just deader than a wedge, man. Just, yeah. I'd, I'd, like I have rarely seen turkeys flop over. That thing did, did not move after that. So. Meanwhile, Giannis is doing everything in his power to try to get a gobble out of that bird. I was also, we <laughs> skipped over the fact that I was maybe 300 yards away from you guys, also in the zone, also hearing that gobble, trying to determine if I should go over there or not and knowing probably not. So I just sat there because I was going, I was trying to get out of the zone on foot because I was very, I was challenged by your like, I'm going hunting. I'm like, well, if he's going hunting, I'm going hunting. So I was took off to go back to our earlier zone. Yep. And on my way to the zone, which was bird rich, which was bird rich on my way over to that zone. I heard a gobble. So I sat down and called a few times and I was like, "Mm, it's probably not polite. So I just sat there and heard us. Then you heard us harvest it. Then I heard you harvest it. The bird rich zone uh, that Ben was going off to and then got distracted from is important to note because that is the exact same zone that Giannis and I returned to yes. later on. Yes, it is important to note. But on yeah, I was I the was, last hour of the last. I day. felt I felt you didn't intentionally chide me, but I felt chided into like. Am I going to go sit here and wait for lunch? Or am I going to go like Cal and valiantly trudge back into the forest to hunt the wild turkey? So I, I was like, oh, well, I'm off. And I went off. You had to skip your afternoon shower, go hunting again. Yeah, yeah, skip my. I'd make yeah, sure Ben my has a very uh, stringent uh, showering routine yep. in the state of Texas. Yeah. It's a morning, midday, and evening shower, I believe. Pretty much every, yeah. If, it, if I could do it every hour on the hour, I would. You were showering more than once a day? No. Oh, okay. No, this is a joke. <laughs> yeah, you were. But no, I was doing twice a day while we were there. Yeah. Because I had lived there, and I know. Uh, all the shit that's crawling on me, I went off. Oh, you were doing like tick and chigger work and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so you. I get in there. Rather than just like walking around in my underwear, picking, I figured getting in the shower is a nice way to. I was periodically checking my scroll. Yeah. Because I started having like, you know when you start thinking about it? Oh, you it feel like your head. You feel like there's like, one oh, there. there's a chigger. That's a chigger. That's got to be a chigger. Yeah. I did come up with one chigger bite right on my waistline, but one, which is just, I felt, yeah, it, it was just like the weird curveball the state of Texas threw me because it is, that experience down there that week was so completely different than every other Texas, Texas experiment experience. or experience that I've had. Between chiggers and cactus and everything That's, else. My wife, said, my wife said, how was the trip? I said, well, the turkey hunting was eh, so-so, but I didn't get, I didn't see a rattlesnake. I didn't get a chigger bite. I didn't get a tick on me, so I win. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm still working a cactus thorn in my knee. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I, I think I had a cactus thorn, too, in, the, in, my, in my behind, but other than that, I'm good. And, and going to Texas, if you get out safely without any kind of alpha-gal syndrome or any long-lasting effects, you're good. Oh, you're yeah. Good. Lyme disease, any other sort of 
ailments, viruses. I just uh, I just got a note that at the end of that trip when we did the fundraiser for Wild Sheep. Yep. At the end at the Yeti flagship store in Austin, they pulled uh, six thousand five hundred bucks that night. That's great. With the because Cal was auctioning. Awkward auction. Yeah, but he wasn't doing that. He wasn't going. Hey, but hey, guys, listen. Say, listen, man. I'm not here to bullshit you people. You got money. I got. I got something. I got stuff to sell. Bring it to. Let's hear another quick turkey story. I can give you a quick one. This is what the next day, correct, Yanni? We had we had a couple of buddies who had a property, a lease property, close to, yeah relatively close similar area to also in the lano river down river a ways and yanni and i decided to uh hunt that virgin property at least to us with a with two buddies of ours that own archery country there in austin um tyler and brennan and i had hunted last the year before i'd hunted that property but yanni had never Never hunted it, but I felt like you can tell me if I'm wrong. Yanni, it's a pretty good turkey spot. Yeah, as things go. Yeah, nice ranch. Yep, heads up, heads up to the river. So we headed over there in the morning. Got up early, made the drives like 45 minutes. Headed over there, and struck off in the morning. I went with, uh, I went with Tyler and and Brendan and Yanni went off together. They had a bunch of fired up gobblers in in one spot on this property the day before so we struck off and headed over there after those birds to see if we could strike them up we struck up a couple of birds across the river which i was dumb enough to think ah we'll find some other turkeys was it the yano it was the yano the lano yeah lano yeah this is you guys up or down river from us down okay and we were in a spot where you like you you want to talk 100 year floods i mean there was full boats there was docks there was i mean it looked like the water was 50 feet above normal. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like stuff deposited on the banks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just debris everywhere. I mean, it was it was kind of a wasteland there at that stretch of the river. So we walked the river, called a little bit, struck up a couple birds across the river, but I was dumb enough to think, oh, we're going to hunt these birds that are on our side. I don't want to mess with these things. We should probably have well, – we struck up some, some birds that were fired up, probably should have stayed there and – Got him to fly across as as you guys did at the other spot. Anyhow, we went up the hill, set up where we knew these turkeys were at, started calling, and we had basically complete silence once birds hit the ground. And it was, it was like, how could this happen? How could this, this happen? This never happens. What? This nev- never, I never experienced this in my life. So, yes, we were basically screwed. Oh, Yanni did the Yanni turkey marathon. He walked from the other side of the entire property all the way to where we were, and I heard this faint. Yanni said he had his track function on? Yeah. On Onyx? Brendan did, because I hunted with him from about Was he using one of those stupid on. watches that always tells you the no, wrong no, no. distance? he was running his Onyx oh. track function. Everyone with those watches, dude, I walked uh, 98 miles today. My watch told me so. <laughs> well, I often feel <laughs> like they far. cannot be dude, accurate. we got to give Brendan – Brendan Hansen is a – multiple-time gold medal Olympic swimmer. For whatever that's worth. Yeah, for whatever that's <laughs> worth. <laughs> so he's been there. He's, uh, some, anyways, he says you guys walked 17 miles looking for turkeys. 
Yeah, and that was after I did my that was little a, personal. As long as it doesn't, your, I don't accept that, any data from one of those eye watches. I don't know how far it was. I just know that at, at 9 a.m. or 9.30 when I hooked up with you guys, I was already like, golly. I oh, heard this. That one. was a freaking walkabout. I just did. <laughs> what are we those watches called that I'm talking about? I, I, there's a lot of them. Fitbit. Fitbit. You like Whenever Fitbit? someone, out, you know, Fitbit people, my, we got one for my kid. He wanted one real bad. He wakes up, he's awake for five minutes. Lord shows he's gone like 3,000 <laughs> 3, yards. 18 flights like, of stairs. Did you just come downstairs? <laughs> 18 flights of stairs today. Now, we, I, was, I remember hearing the faint crow call in the distance, and I thought, well, that's the direction that Yanni's in, but there's no way in this short amount of time that he's covered all this distance to get to where we are because we left him on the other side of the property almost. I hear this faint crow call. Give it to me, Yanni. In the distance, what did it sound like? Do a way off uh, bull. Do a way off, yeah. <laughs> no, don't do the end part. I don't like the end part. Well, no, that was no, just no. a little something extra for the ladies. Yeah, <laughs> we're, just, we're just having fun. So there he is. Was he in your zone? Did he violate your zone? Uh, kind of? Kind of, yeah. but it's not that we didn't really establish zones at that point. We just thought, well, Yanni's so far away, there's no way he'll trudge his, because he had to go through, what, eight gates to get? <laughs> what do you mean, kind of? I was in touch with the freaking lease holder, That's and true. I was like, can I come down there? Because where you guys sent me is obviously the first gar hole I've ever been put in. You thought you were gar hole. <laughs> you thought you were gar hole. It's called the Latvian creep. Yep. <laughs> Coming into your zone. I was like, that man has big strides. He made it all the way over here, but I heard a faint. I heard Stretch, a faint. <laughs> stretching fences from one end of the ranch <laughs> to the other. <laughs> pushing gates over. I heard this faint crow call, and I thought, that sounds like a Yanni crow call. Not that it didn't sound good. Because there's not great. a lot of crows there. Yeah, there's no. not. you don't hear. There's some, but there's it's not some. You don't hear that three-note crow call. Uh, and then I heard I heard a yelp, and I'm like, that's a Yanni. That's a Yanni yelp. And yeah. it, it has like two stages. It's got, it's got its two stages, six notes, and it's two stages um, in those notes. So I knew that was Yanni. Well, Yanni came over and met up with us, and there was we, it was quiet. You hadn't heard a gobble to that point, had you? Nope. It was super quiet um, to the point where it was getting a little bit depressing. So we endeavored to, to go and grab some sandwiches, or we were going to go reset, got in the truck, rolled down to this little creek bottom where I had heard birds gobbling before. I'm like, let's just get out and hammer them. Um, we got out, and... Almost as soon as we got out of the truck, right, Yanni? Yeah, we blew the crow call and he answered. And he was, boom, answered. Now, this is, and what we didn't say about either of your two birds. Did you hit him with a Steve Reno? I was doing my best inversion of it, but I'm sure it wasn't quite. Steve, Steve believes his crow calling is, yeah. is Olympic in nature. Yeah. Like it's gold medal. There's something like particularly shocking. <laughs> To a turkey when I crow call. Yeah. Piercing. And now, I got to say, the short time people we People I notice people sh- I hunt with, when I pull that crow call out, I watch them. They take two or three steps backward. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh. To, oh. Get, to get behind me. I'm the man. To uh, get behind me before I do it. So you, you, I didn't see that, though. In our short time together, there was no shocks. Uh, but I believe you. Uh, but Yanni shocked them up. And they were just kind of, what, 500 yards away, this bird was? Down in this Good little... Ways little creek bottom this beautiful little um dry bottom it yeah. was hot man so yeah, yeah we knew we, we we need to find some shade to find it was hot bird. that day my friends and 
Um, so there's four of us. We're like, ah, we'll all four go down there and see if we can call us bird in, which is generally not uh, prescribed. Just moving heavy. <laughs> yeah, we went in heavy. And it was, it was decided that I would shoot this turkey. Yanni had his fan, and we went down into the bottom. What but, do you call your fan, Yanni? Slim Shady. Yeah, or Slim Jim. Slim Pickens. <laughs> Slim Pickens, <laughs> I think Slim is what Pickens. you're calling it in Texas. We got Slim Pickens out. We went down there. And hit it. Not not sooner did we did Yanni hit. We the, say slim because it's only a fan with like a turkey head. You might as well talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Give people. It, he um, took a saw and cut his turkey decoy's head off. Yeah, it's a Primo's chicken on a stick, which is sweet decoy. I like what I like about it is it has the the steak has like a handle. It even has a little U where you can drop your shotgun into it, so you can be holding the fan. And you're oh both. that's that's more no way yeah that was like a coat more. hanger no 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 those for so hanging you can, a jacket you can fan with it or you can just stick it into the ground and use it as a decoy but I wanted it to be a little bit more portable a little bit more run and gun friendly and so I basically whacked off three quarters of the decoy body so it was just the head left and you know did a little tweaking and basically attached that to the stake handle and the fan and so because he's so slim and two dimensional slim shady slim shady. Slim Pickens. Well, Slim That's Pickens. my favorite actor. Slim Shady? Slim. No. No. <laughs> Slim Pickens. I did like Eight Mile. <laughs> Tell you what, I never saw that, but he's in that movie Happy People. Yeah. He's pretty good in he's that. He's pretty good. He's no Slim Pickens. Yeah, no. Hmm. I'll doesn't have the depth and body of work of Doctor Strange Love, Doctor Strange Deluxe. This is one of the greatest movies ever made. This is why podcasts exist. Okay, go on. You just need one roll or you get a ride and a bomb and that just kind of <laughs> elevates that's your yeah that's your one shining moment yeah uh so we all four trudge down into this bottom this turkey's he's pretty fired up for a midday bird and in in it's hot it was pretty hot um i didn't have a lot of confidence because he seemed a little he seemed like he was in his strut zone he didn't really want to break mm-hmm. is that is that how you see it yanni yes i would say so so we all, I, Yanni and I kind of got up against some trees and we knew he had a, there was a fence in between us. It was one of those six strand fences that we were talking about. And we're thinking this dude's going to have to come across that unless we, you know, unless we jump it. But if we jump it, we're too close. He comes, he starts gobbling. We sit down. He's not really, he wasn't cutting any distance no. for, for five to 10 minutes. Yanni was hitting him hard. I got, got the old box, box call out. Well, we decided to skit closer and split up, and wow, then, yeah, and then yeah. both of us called. It sounded like a whole flock, yeah, a whole rafter. He was fired up, and man. He was answering every time, and he was he was thundering. But he just was he was in his zone, and he didn't didn't feel the need to come over there. Because they, I think that they enjoy that. Yeah, I think that like you think that there's unf- like when he's not cl- you're calling and he's gobbling, and you feel that there's this thing that needs to happen now. I think that they sometimes revel in that. I think so too, and I think this is a perfect example of what how it goes. So we're calling. It was 10 minutes of calling, I bet. And I get out the call. Him and I are both going. We're hitting it together. At some point, you could just tell that he was committed. Like, at some point, he was – He was. we were cutting him off, both cutting him off. He was getting a little more jacked up, a little more excited. He's like, I'm going to make love. Double yeah. and triple gobble. He had, yeah. a, he had a triple gobble. I will be making love soon. And I'm, I'm maybe 10 yards away from Yanni. I turned to him at one point, and he goes, let's just stay quiet. Let's just – Let's just shut up for a while and see what happens. We shut up and not. It was coincidence that we shut up and then the next so? gobble. You think was, he was coming he was 50 already? Yards closer. 
I thought I knew he was coming for sure. When we shut up and quit gobbling, like thirty seconds later, he just hits one, and he's way closer than he was. And I turned to our other two companions. I'm like, he's coming. Like, get ready. So uh, we've got me on the left, Yanni on the right. Yanni's got old Slim Pickens, just just giving her the sweet turn. It's that sweet music where there's just tail. He had fans. to come. He had to come investigate because yeah, the silence. That little tail fan just just going across. Yeah, we could see way up this. Uh, shady creek bottom but yeah. we couldn't see where the turkey was but he came across the thick stuff and popped out at, I, I've, at least I, 100 yards up i the caught him bottom. coming through the thick stuff and i'm like oh dude that's on it's like and he comes out into the open creek bottom and, and we're all there's four dudes just i mean we're not covered up at all i'm like oh this, he might this might not go well it was a thing of beauty though because he kind of came out of the shade and right into a sunny spot oh, and then he just full came out full strut and just glowed just, and just glow. oh and it was oh, it was like nice. one of those like avenues in the excited. creek bottom it's like that avenue in the creek bottom where the, you got trees on both sides you got a bunch of brush and there's just this like lane and he didn't get he wasn't like walking the edge of the lane he came right out in the open and walked in the middle of it and it's like strutted. that painting you ever see that famous painting by that famous painter of daniel boone coming through the cumberland gap yep just it's like he like just that, parted yeah. the sea and he was coming through <laughs> And he was just like, oh man, he was, and he was strutting. It's, he was hit the strut, and he would go back down and look around, like, yeah, 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 I'm coming in. And it hit it up, and he kits. I did not like. I wanted to. I wanted him to come in and put on the show because once I saw him turn the corner, I'm like, unless he, unless one of us does something stupid, this is over. But he took. He took his sweet old time coming up the lane, and then got to the fence, which was roughly 25 yards away, and just hit it, and just was. He was going back and forth. He was trying to find a way through the fence. And he was spitting, drumming, like every noise a turkey can make, he was making. Um, and so the other two guys we were with, Tyler and Brennan, hadn't really turkey hunted very much or like almost never, uh, maybe one time in the woods. So they got the show of shows. I mean, he spit, drumming, you know, just strut. You hear a lot of guys say that, I want to see the show. I want to get the show when I kill a turkey. And that means that. That like means that. You get that. to watch him come cool. strutting, gobbling. He That's would, the show. He would, yeah. He would. He strutted and gobbles whole way in, and once he got to shooting range, he was just going back and forth on the fence, just hitting it. Just, I mean, just spitting and drumming as loud as I've heard. Didn't gobble very much once he got in close, but they don't do that. So the show sounds kind of perverse. You'd want to see that and then shoot the turkey. Yeah. But everybody who sits around sits down to Thanksgiving turkey. What was the show they got? It shows up in the back of a Nothing, truck. Nothing. Yeah. Shows up crammed into a truck. $100 organic turkey. With 30,000 other turkeys crammed into a truck, and they drag it out by its feet and run it through a slaughter <laughs> yeah. line. I, I I'd would, much rather eat a turkey that showed up like that. Oh, dude, I've been on. I just showed got back up in from, full strut. I just got back from vacation, so I haven't eaten any part of this turkey yet. But when I do, I will be thinking of him coming down that lane. You won't be picturing one of those sad trailers full of white turkeys <laughs> going down the highway Aww, with feathers and poor shit little flying off the back of it. Out of <laughs> the giant bin. Yeah. Big cryovac bin. Be like, yeah. And I will admit to having made a bit of a mistake here when I killed the turkey. He was looking to try to get through the fence, and he was putting his head up trying to, and he looked to get through the fence and figured out he couldn't get through it. And I really? thought, well, I'm going to kill him now. Yeah, he kind of he kind of came out of strut, put his head close to the fence. So he really wanted through that fence. Oh, he wanted oh, through it time. bad. He wanted through it bad. And another, he, was, he was seeing another gobbler strutting 25 yards away, man. He wanted to, like, get up in the... Yeah. Kicked, kicked yeah. the nuts on it. He was so he kind of he came he out of strut it a couple of times where he'd be like showy 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 and then he'd kind of go into three quarter strut and you could see his head looking at the fence. He'd walk a little bit and then just go back. I was thinking if strut. we let him let him keep put on a show, he might have backed up and flown over the fence. 
which would have been I'd have shot him as soon as he landed, just just out of principle. But it he he came at Broke Strut and was like looking through the fence, looking, and I thought I could shoot him right now. I'm gonna blow his head off easy, and then he went back into Strut and started walking towards Yanni a bit away from me, and I thought, well, it's time to go. So I shot him when he was in full strut and just wrecked him. I mean, just. I've never. I mean, that turkey didn't twitch, did he? I mean, he just down, folded. And it turns out that I hit him pretty hard. Like, both. And you were saying you thought maybe it was a butchering mistake. I'm. Oh. I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't because I've done a lot of them, but it could have been. But when I pulled his, his, both his legs back to cut his thighs off and his. Hit both of his, I guess it would be his his femur bone. I don't yeah, know his what, thigh, yeah, his thigh, thigh bone femur, were turkey snapped femurs. in half. Like when when that payload hit him, he just fell so fast that it, the force of it broke both his legs. I still don't understand. I mean, I understand. Like the, yeah. I'm not saying I understand either, but I, that, that's what that's what I encountered when I broke him open. And he drops a damn fast. I remember carrying Didn't him out. You like later throw him in the back of the truck and slam the been. tailgate on his thigh. No, no. <laughs> that would have been a good way to pull but it. But I, th- I think we would have seen bruising had we had he gone through some sort of trauma like that, right? Yeah. Like, no, there you, was no bruising to the legs. No. It was just literally both his legs were snapped. What do you think caused and it? In half. I don't know. I mean, that's the best explanation. Like he convulsed that I can in death so hard, like yeah. he that it broke his own thighs. Like he dropped. I mean, I've never seen a turkey. Yas has a video. I've never seen a turkey drop faster than that and not move. Like did not. I've definitely seen him fold like that where there's zero flopping. But uh, not even a. I mean, what else would cause that? He didn't walk in there with those two legs broken like that. I can tell you that. Cleaning error. That's what you were saying. I I didn't cl- like make the same error. But I don't know I've, how you clean it so hard as to break yeah, its thigh bones. I'm telling. Well, I got. I have you a using, you JT Van Zant. You were using the truck skinning <laughs> method on that jerky. <laughs> I put a golf ball up its ass. Uh, no, I, I JT Van Zant was standing there and I flopped him open to pull his breasts off and his thighs and legs and. He's like, holy shit, because when you just flop him open, you can see it. Huh. Um, so that's, that's my big takeaway is that the payload from the old TSS put a hurting on that turkey. So Yanni, if, you, if you, um, you get to tell one turkey story, do you want to tell the story of Danielle's first turkey? It's certainly more interesting. Okay, to give it turkey stories. Quick, You're yeah. right, because I got to get in on a couple turkey kills. Yeah. Um, Cal and I, Cal helped me double up on the last day. It was fourth quarter. That's one of fourth my favorite. Down. It was great. That's one yeah. of my favorite hunting things that happens when a dude's like, "Oh man, I'm just gonna run out real quick before we leave." Because Yanni never says die. No, I'm gonna run out quick before we leave. Oh, man, I was. It was too close for me though. I don't. I didn't like the pressure of that hunt. It was like you gotta <laughs> you gotta push the envelope repeatedly because you're like. Well, yeah, normally starts, I do this. It starts but. to not get fun because you're just in the back of your head. You're constantly like, "Well, I wonder if we can leave a little bit later." And, <laughs> I wonder if they're going to be pissed off if we get there at three instead of two. Because it was about one when we killed. Anywho, yeah, I got to hunt with Danielle for her, her first, what she considered her first real, in air quotes, uh, turkey hunt. She yeah, been in some wild, wild game chef, Danielle Pruitt. Yeah, Danielle Pruitt, wild and home. Um, and uh, we had a similar morning to what you guys described, but uh, went back out. The only one thing I'll add to the little story, but we can't really go off on a tangent here, but bringing back up Cal's bird story, we were working that same bird. You guys were obviously much closer to that bird than we were. But uh, 
you know, it was late in the day. It was noon, 1 p.m., something like that. We've been out. Danielle had been on a turkey tour. My Onyx had said like six or six and a half miles at that point. I could see it. She was starting to drag a little bit. But now we're like set up, got a pretty hot bird. You know, he's working. And and we could hear your calls a, a little bit. I think she even mentioned it. But anywho... Man, that shot goes off, and you could just see her shoulders slump down. <laughs> she said to me, I, didn't, I feel like someone burst my balloon. I was like, well. Deflated the tires a little bit. I know. These boys, old these boys got lost. Anywho, we got back out at maybe three. <laughs> we weren't lost. We were in our zone. We got back at three or so, and uh, man, it was amazing. what was interesting about that country is that if you got on a high point at all, you could hear a gobble a long ways away. I'm talking like stuff you can measure in uh, quarters and halves, maybe even three quarters of a mile. Because um, the one that we ended up eventually getting on, I'm thinking he's for sure on our side of the river. And as we get closer, I'm like, yep, on our side, but definitely down at the river. Well, we show up at the river, and that bugger's 300 yards on the other side of the river. And, um, yeah, they just – they that it just – Whatever it was, topography and the and the flora there really let those gobbles travel far. Anywho, on the other side of the river, and I, although I had no, I knew that Steve had some birds that came across the river. Um, I was thinking, man, this is a long shot. Danielle thought it was such a long shot that she was kind of in her head thinking she didn't tell me, but in her head she's thinking, how long are we going to sit here and just listen to this turkey gobble on the other side of the river that we can't even see? Like this is a, a stupid idea. We're wasting our time. We should be doing something else. But um, he was hot and he was, you know, pretty much gobbling almost every call. So I kept at him, kept at him. And eventually I could tell he moved down the bank a little bit and he popped out. I was like, oh, well, he at least moved out of his, if it was a strut zone. And it was weird because he was like, it sounded like he was coming from between two sort of like what I would call like machine shed, not really barn, more like metal sided machine shed looking buildings. Like he was strutting like in the parking lot. Yeah, where you store like, like, like tractor yeah. and mower storage. Yeah, stuff. yeah, more of a garage than a barn. Anywho, he pops out and uh, it looks like he's sort of angling our way, you know, still doing the strutting and, and, you know, zigzagging. And eventually those zigzags get smaller and smaller and smaller and the zigzag turns into a straight line going towards the riverbank. And I'm like, golly, we better get ready and take the situation seriously, you know? And uh, he gets, he actually goes up on one of those bluffs that you described. And does a few circles up there, and I'm thinking, man, Danielle, if he pitches, it's on, you know. But there's also a really good chance that he's going to do a few circles and just sit there and gobble at us for the next hour and then go back up to that machine shop, and, you know, that would be the end of the story. Well, lucky for us, he pitches and lands on the Mojave Desert sandy beach. Because turkeys like, don't like to fly. Two or 300 yards away, and – uh Goes into full strut for a second, drops full strut, and then just starts beelining it towards us. And, uh, yeah, definitely one of the more incredible and more interesting wild call-ins I've been a, in, uh, part of uh, to see one fly across the river and then walk across the sandy beach to me. Um, you, got, you got all this on your phone video, That's right? right. That's right. I made a little uh, Instagram story, as they call it, and I saved it in my highlights, which I learned about recently. And uh, so Oh, so you, it's you like can, up and ha it's already go, happened. You can go check it out. Oh, yeah. so proud. Tell them how to find you. Just at Janice Poodles. That's right. It's actually, yeah, Janice underscore 
Putalis. I'm so proud um, of your Instagram. J Gosh, underscore. No, J-A-N-I-S yeah. underscore P-U-T-E-L-I-S. Yeah, and under highlights. Wasn't it Latvian Hunter? It he was. switched it. Okay. He, I changed rebranded. it. <laughs> rebranded. Rebranded. <laughs> Make it easier. He's like, yeah. I am a Latvian, I am a Hunter, but. But his name. Is, is that all I am? It's is easier that, to find him by his name. If you go on Instagram and you want to see the deer hung up in the fence, go to at Steven Ranella. And then when, I, when you're there, go to follow. Guess I got into a weird place of like being like the whole cute Instagram handle thing. And yeah, you know what I mean? So anyways, I went plain simple with Talking my name. Talking to Benny O'B and Old Cal over here. <laughs> <laughs> so Old this bird it. comes Nothing right cuter. up to the grassy bank. And I thought he was going to come. He sort of, at, at some point, he went perpendicular to us a little bit to get on the bank. Which at first I was nervous about because I thought he was gonna we we're gonna lose sight of him and then he was gonna get into the thick stuff and then actually maybe even circle us and come through the thick stuff and pop out at you know five or ten yards, but instead he gets just up, he just wanted to get up on our level and uh, he started coming right at us and the whole time we're you know just basically sitting there with this fan in front of us and uh, turning it back and forth moving it up and down a little bit and uh, yeah he gobbled and strutted all the way to thirty yards and then I. Made a couple calls and get him, got him to stretch his neck out. Ouch! Yeah, Danielle was all over him. And then she turned to you and said, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. yeah. The nice thing about hunting with Danielle, like a lot of times you hunt with people and they get something, and, and I, I have this thing where I start worrying about the meat. Yep. I'm like, you know, they're gonna oh yeah get worried about what's gonna happen to it. Are they going to put it in their freezer and freezer burn it and never forget and forget about it and throw it out? But nice thing about hunting with a, like a wild game, like a real serious wild game cook, you never have to have that concern. Yeah. She tried to render the turkey fat out of its sponge. So did it work? She How made a broth out of it, out of the damn sponge. How did it go? Yeah, what'd she say? The broth was good, not much fat. Huh. But the rendering liquid was good. Huh. That's interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. Now, that's next level wild game cooking. That is you know, next level. You know how most of us, as the big buck or the turkey's coming in, we have these visions of grandeur that I like to call them, which means in my head, I'm like already, I'm not purposely thinking this, but my brain, my little subconscious ego does this, where somehow I drift off to like the time when I'm going to be back at the tailgate with Cal and Ben and Steve, and we'll be looking at the spurs and high-fiving, having a beer, or maybe like thinking about what the the European mount is going to look like on the wall. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so weird that it, the brain does that, but it does. Cause it's not like, yeah. I don't, I'm not sitting there going, Oh yeah. You know, I can, like, I just, I, I drift away. But Danielle was, instead of her visions of grandeur were more like tacos out of the thighs. And then this is going to be the breast. And then I got this idea about the uh, Pope's nose that I'm going to do. And like, she was, yeah. Point being that, yeah, she had a big plan for every single Yeah, you don't got to worry about it. That's I don't like that feeling of worrying about what someone's going to do with what they just got. No. Oh, gosh. And the minute they're like, uh, you're like do you want mine? I oh. just take it. Because oh. I'm like, if that's Hell where yeah, you're at, I'm going to take it because I'll make sure someone, I'll get it in the right hands and I don't trust you anymore. She, uh, yeah, she made some incredible, uh, what'd she call them? Tequila lime, I believe. Lime tequila. Tacos. Yeah. Out of, out of the uh, thigh and thighs and legs, and mostly just sticks. thighs though. Isn't it? Awesome, no, think, awesome meat. I think turkey hunting, especially, I don't know if it's more than other, but most people you run into 
are talking about the breasts and the breasts only. Like, not this crew, but most people in my experience you run into are talking about it that way. There's a, there's a, like a slight expansion to legs and thighs, but taking it a little further, like Yanni does, gizzards, hearts, livers, yep. things like that. Sponge. I think is, is sponge. <laughs> like, I think is is critical, man. It's oh, key. you know what I'm doing this year, and I'll be reporting back here in, in a while. But uh, I've saved every single uh, turkey foot, or I guess what's what's below the drumstick. Yeah. You make your own you, stock. I'm gonna try making stock, stock? out of the turkey uh, foot yeah. stock. Yeah, because a I, lot of chefs make they consider the best stock out of chicken feet. Exactly. Yeah. And I take the spurs and cut each side of the spur. You taught you taught me that trick. So it's just a spur and a little bit of the leg bone. Yeah. Drill a hole in it, and I got a thing that I use to pull the lights on in my garage, and I string them on that string. It's real nice. Someday someone's going to come in and steal that string from me, and I'm going to hunt them down and kill them. I, I've adopted, starting with this, yeah, it's I've a adopted Parker Hall's uh, <laughs> way of, um, or, yeah, his, his system of keeping tally or keeping, uh, you know, mementos from turkey hunts, which is one spur from each turkey, and it goes onto a string. One. Just one. You know what my other pull cord is? Do you write something it's on it? It's a so you know? Spanish mackerel's jaw. Ooh, that's that's cool. one pull that cord, cool. and the other pull cord is turkey spurs. Yeah, I like turning the turkey spur light on. Am I, am Both I, will cut your hand. Am I uh, downgraded because I don't – I kill a lot of turkeys, but I don't save – I mean, I have some fans and stuff in my freezer, but I don't, I don't save parts. anything. No. And I've mentioned it a thousand million times, but I had the spur earrings made for my wife. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I just don't, it never struck me that I had to save them. No, it's good. For any, like, yeah. I don't look down on you. Um, good. Checking in on that. <laughs> so, so right. be accepted. fourth quarter hunt, okay, we, we have to go, some folks have to go to the airport, some folks have to go to um, the stars in the sky uh, dock viewing uh, slash fundraiser at the Yeti store all the way back in Austin. So we have a couple hours to hunt. Uh, Giannis and I decided to hop in the little ranch rig, the side-by-side, and uh, try to hit this general zone that really hadn't been uh, touched since opening, since our opening morning. And that's where the birds, Ben and I found the birds, and they were strutting on the other side of the fence. And... Um, that was we had stopped several times to try to locate and get a response. We finally get to this point and we get a far off gobble on the other side of yeah, the property. Off line. of our property. Yep. yep. But it's like where you gotta put all your eggs in one basket at some point in the ticking clock scenario. Yep. It was worth a try. Right. Yeah. So we went up there, set up on him twice, just to kind of know, just to cut the distance. You know, you never know exactly how far he is until he's pretty much within shotgun range. And uh, the fence was a problem, but he started parallel in the fence. And then, uh, luckily for us, we get to a point where the fence takes a hard right. Uh-huh. So, unbeknownst, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a ninety degree turn on the fence, and so. You can imagine if two folks are paralleling a straight line and then there's a 90-degree turn, all of a sudden you're basically face-to-face, face-to-beak in this scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Man, fences play a big role in Texas turkey hunting. I was just going to say the same thing. I'm like, it's a story of fences, man. Cow. 
The whole a thing. Story of fences. Ooh, I like that. Oh. <laughs> so then, yeah, all right, what happened? Oh. Yeah, wrap her up. We're running along. We uh, we saw three gobblers. What, what we thought we were chasing was one. Ended up being three. And uh, Cal put that we had to creep around that little corner. Cal put the fan up. At some point, I called. I don't know, know what I called for. I do remember though. Yeah, you that did call. Yeah, all three of them simultaneously gobbled. <laughs> They saw the fan, and you could see the, the wheels turn for a few seconds, and then they, they pretty much charged in. This was uh, my first experience watching the fan in action, and I, you could just see, like, everybody was strapped, and then they were like, first one gets her. <laughs> like, everybody relaxes and just starts straight lining uh, it. Yeah, and so I shot one, and then uh, the other ones jumped on his dead buddy, and it's pecking and spurring him and whatnot. And then uh, I realized that we, I had four tags. And I'm like, Cal, should I shoot another one? He's like, if you want the meat, boom! <laughs> 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 yeah, the, we'll have to touch on that next time we're talking about turkeys, which probably won't be long. Is uh, a, a, a turkey's proclivity to when his buddy is harvested, to uh, when his buddy gets killed, to then spur to attack, peck, and spur his buddy. This is next level kicking a man when he's down. Yeah. They turn on each other real quick. Assholes. And he's like, I've been watching you, and now's my chance, and I'm going to spur you. And, and Or if they walk away feeling like they killed him. Yeah, maybe. If he's later like, you know that one I was with? I killed him. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's sure. He, he, tripped, <laughs> he, tripped, he tripped and fell, and I killed him. He tripped and killed fell, him. and I killed him. I took advantage of that. And that's what he tells people later To on. kill him. That's a lot of There was this loud noise. There was a loud noise. I don't know what it was. It caused him to trip and fall. Boom! He tripped and fell, and then I killed him with my beacon spurs. Steve, we, should we preview the thing that we filmed down there, speaking of all this? Or we want to keep that top to top secret? I think we should be top. Oh, yeah. We filmed a thing that explains a lot about turkey. It's probably the best instructional turkey piece ever made. The preeminent... Uh, in the, uh, in the landscape of turkey instructional videos. I've never it, read it, the book, but you could say we basically just like transcribed the book Seventh Legion. Tenth. Tenth, Tenth Legion. Legion. Colonel this Tom. Like, this is more like Seventh Legion. Yes. Yep. There's three le- Into a visual format that everybody can understand. Yes. Yeah. I, one of us is the poet laureate, the new poet laureate of turkey hunting, which you'll, it's a, it's a big deal. What are you nodding at me for, Yanni? Because you look like you're about to wrap it up. I'm wrapping her up. I'm nodding at you like, do it. I'm wrapping her up. Thanks for joining. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep. 
You can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.